You were supposed to be in Istanbul last night. I'm afraid this unfortunate lighter business has uh, clouded your judgment. You have a job to do. I expect you on a plane this afternoon. I haven't finished here, sir. Leave it to the Americans. It's their mess. Let them clear it up. Sir, they're not going to do anything. I owe it to Leiter. He's put his life on the line for me many times. Oh, spare me this sentimental rubbish. He knew the risks. And his wife? This private vendetta of yours could easily compromise Her Majesty's government. You have an assignment. And I expect you to carry it out objectively and professionally. Then you have my resignation, sir. We're not a country club, 007. Effective immediately. Your license to kill is revoked. And I require you to hand over your weapon. Do you expect me to talk? exciting episode of do you expect us to talk i'm your host becca and joining me as always are chris and dave say hi hi Goody, folks today we are discussing <gasps> license to kill oh my god so exciting what's that sorry i had to get over my excitement <laughs> <laughs> license to kill what's that never heard of it <gasps> never you guys heard love of this it. movie it's uh it's it's about driving <laughs> it's about how not to drive very large tankers filled full of drugs there actually was a film called License to Drive. There was, Hill. with Corey Feldman. <laughs> and Corey Haim. Both the Corey Haim as well. Yeah. Uh, I've never seen it, but... I'm sure it's terrific. <laughs> we won't be reviewing it on this podcast, folks, so we won't be doing it. We won't. Anyway, in case you had wondered, this movie stars uh, Tim Dalton, Robert Darby, Carrie Felisa Soto, Anthony Zerbe, and Benicio Del Toro. That's amazing. Yeah, it's one of his earlier roles, isn't it? It's one of his like. We... It's his second film. I couldn't tell you what his first is, but it's the second film he ever started. I think that's amazing. We'll obviously discuss it later on because he's quite a threatening character. Well, I don't think he's that threatening. He said that he gave her a nice honeymoon, so I reckon he sounds quite <laughs> giving. <laughs> a nice honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, now I'm sure he's quite nice. Yeah, this is obviously the last of Tim's two Bond movies, released in 1989. What do you reckon to it then? This I really can't. Right, we did five years of Roger Moore. I think <laughs> I might be wrong. It, 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 it felt like five. Feels like years. a lot longer. Well, by the time I watched Moonraker five times, I must have sat and watched like fourteen of these things. And like he was, he was James Bond forever. When I started, at, you know, when I started, I was in my twenties. And five <laughs> years later, I was nearly in my forties. And um, I'm not sure I've worked all this out correctly. By the way. Uh, and then we start Timothy Dalton, and a week later, we're done. <laughs> it's kind of not fair, isn't it? It's you not fair. <laughs> Stop giving Bond to shit actors. <gasps> <laughs> we, we, we we said this often enough, and you know, we're going to say it again, whether we like it or not, but he should have had like at least another couple in him. He should have, he should, you know, it's... 
It's if a it, travesty. It's if if history would have worked out but better, we would have had like an, at least another two Timothy Dalton films. You know, it 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 just you know it, it made ho- hopefully possibly even more because after watching uh, these two for me, um, well, it's not a real surprise really. Dalton is kind of like my personal favourite. I wouldn't go as far as to say he is the ultimate best Bond if I was doing like a a best of Bond list but if I'm talking about my personal favourite he's my personal favourite I think if they were all like Timothy Dalton it would be a very different series and I think you do need the variety and as much as Roger Moore's not my Bond maybe we needed that too whether we need seven films in 12 years is a different matter yeah but you know something's not right about you the most prolific Bond is my least favourite but when you look at say uh, Lazenby I love. I thought Lazenby was absolutely fine in the role, and I thought he suited the film. But I love that film, and I love what Peter Hunt did, and I like what John Barry did with that film. It's not please more Lazenby. I, I I wish he'd stayed on because I think Diamonds would have been a better film, and maybe we wouldn't have ended up with Roger Moore. But when I look at Timothy Dalton, it isn't well. I want another License to Kill because I think License to Kill is a bit of a one-off by by its whole structure and definition. But I want more Timothy Dalton. And as years have gone by, and we'll talk about my perception of this film when it came out, I suppose, down the line. But I was as relieved as anybody when, like, Goldeneye came out. But as years have gone by, I actually think we had the interregnum after quite a special film and ended up with something very paint-by-numbers and safe afterwards. And I just wish we'd had more Dalton. I really do. Oh, so don't you reckon, like... After this one, because after uh, License to Kill, because it is so hard edged, where would where would they go from here? Though would they kind of stick with the with the hard edged edgedness? I guess, but or I think, would you be lighter? Or I, where I would think you go? the point is, I think the point is, you come back six years later, and you've got a completely different crew. You know, from director to um, score to M to you know all of the cast, with the exception of Q. Had we got a Bond film in '91? maybe we would have had some of the same crew. It's not about whether they would have made License to Kill again or that it's on some sort of trajectory, because it isn't. Skyfall was one of like the most bleak Bond films of all of the series, and it was followed by Spectre, which isn't. It doesn't always follow, you know? I, I, it's not that, well, where would they go next? Definitely this film had problems in terms of how it was received, but I enjoy what we get this week and last week an awful lot more a couple of decades on from it than I do the Brosnan era. Yeah, it gets better with age, I think, doesn't it? It gets better with age, whereas Brosnan is ageing like vinegar. (laughs) Yeah, I think to answer your question, Beckett, I think uh, I was listening to the commentary and they do do mention that a lot more about uh, decisions that are harder edged, like decisions to suit the, the... the story of the film is like story is like is a vengeance drama so they were purposely yeah. kind of going like well we're not going to make it more light and comedic because that will just be well where would that fit in I mean it, it does try to do that at times um, which is kind of <laughs> completely just like random mm. but but you know but things so it's, it's it's still there you know it's but it's, it's it goes for a bit more of a, a harder edge there this time so I do feel like it was a lot more as Dave says, a bit of a one-off. I do think they would have gone... I think they would have gone a bit lighter. They like, would have kind of eased the tone a little bit more. They, they think would have gone back to more Living Daylights-esque. Maybe, maybe like, a, like a, a marriage of the two somewhere. 
if they did another one, possibly. But you know, who knows? I mean, it's, it, we... they would have had to. They would have had to have been a reaction to this um, because it didn't do very well. And as much as we might like this film very much, it did. Well, I, I did say it when we were at Moonraker that I would sort of compare the two rather than sort of do every film in between. Well, Moonraker did 210 million worldwide. Ten years later, after one of the most um, inflation-ridden decades we've ever had, this did 154, which is barely beating A View to a Kill, which is by some 30 million lower than any other Bond film in that decade, with the exception of this. Moonraker did 70 million at the worldwide box office. This, uh, sorry, at the American box office. This did 33. Yikes incredibly low now we're in the same year as batman we're in the same year as uh lethal weapon 2 ghostbusters 2 this was a very very stacked year but at the same time the all-important american box office this film did not do well no it didn't take very well did it it came along the tail end of that as well didn't it so i think a lot of people were kind of like spent out i suppose um Maybe yeah, so. when, we, when we look at this but, film, we do have to look at it in the context of, you know, when it was made, obviously, in amongst all these other big-name blockbusters that have since gone on to become classics. But I do wonder, um, you, know, you know, I might be wrong here, but I'm just, like, spitballing. Because of the uh, higher rating of this, usually the Bond films have all been PG. So majority, like, people brought their kids and whatever to watch a new Bond film. This, this time... Not this was, one. Yeah, well, not this one. This is, like, came a... Like a hard hard R rating or fifteen rating over over here. Uh, I think they wanted a twelve more PG thirteen. Um, like, but they you know didn't manage to get that. So do you, do you think that might would have had an impact? Do you think that would have been I think part it probably of the reason? Will. I think yeah, it definitely. It's only that. I mean, Britain is a big part of the audience for these films. I mean, like over a tenth of its budget of Skyfall's budget was taken in this country. Uh, a fifteen does not help it. Uh, no. Um, it doesn't guarantee like more bombs on seats. I mean, definitely if it's like a if it's a PG thirteen or a twelve over here in the UK, that's that's basically like that guarantees you a higher revenue, I guess, as it were. Yeah, or but a portion of it certainly. It's it's just funny because there are like like eighteen or fifteen like films that do well. It's not like it's unheard of. Oh, it's, definitely. It's, no, no. I, I just wonder if it's like just the the because this is a, a, a franchise. It's like all of a sudden if like Marvel bought out a, a film and it was like fifteen. Well, hang on, Deadpool. Um, but, <laughs> but, yeah. but, but what I mean is, like, it's like, like let's just say all of a sudden Civil War is like a 15 or something like that. Uh, would that have an impact? It's chopping uh, up most of your core audience, really, isn't it? Kind of, yeah. I, it, I didn't do it, it didn't do it any favours. Don't forget, we are still only four years from Roger Moore, who was Bond for 12 years. We haven't been sold on Dalton. We've put out a film that's very, very similar Sorry, it's not very similar at all. Very different from the film that preceded it. And we've immediately excluded some of the audience with a higher rating than it normally gets. It's really not hard to see why this didn't do as well. And plus, everything about this film was advertising something that shouldn't, would probably not feel like a Bond film. Yeah, it was very much like, very much like every other late 80s action thrillers type uh, thing, so it looked very much like it was advertised like Lethal Weapon was, or like a Die Hard, or anything like, like along those lines. I mean, it certainly had that more, more of a feel to it, but I think 
it was well, certainly more realistic, wasn't it? Yeah. I think in terms of like the plot and because um, it was kind of based on like you know drug barons kind of ruling everything, and it was taken you know right from right from the news headlines of the day, sort of thing. So absolutely, and you know we're 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 not many years on from Octopussy, A View to a Kill, and and films that were a lot lighter in tone with dark bits. Because I mean, as we discussed during the Roger Moore era, we think of them as a lot lighter, but these films have some really strange dark bits in the middle of them. But they were a lot lighter and jokier in tone. There's not a lot of jokes in this. There are a few, but there is not. There are not a lot of jokes in this. This is a much harder edge film from the get go, and it's a difficult film to promote. Yeah, this isn't your kind of silly frothy. Romp, I guess, as it were, is it by any means? No, absolutely not. And it's glorious for it as well. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, def- it's a breath of fresh air. It really is. Yeah, it's definitely something different. Definitely something. Um, but uh, on the on this is the the first Bond film rental for me. The first oh, was it? Bond film I actually rented on VHS. Probably the only Ooh. one, really. But just how time went, but. Yeah, it was the it was the one because uh, I I was under the illusion that this was the only Dalton at the time as well. So it was like, oh my oh. god, License Kills like the one bomb film. You Let's watch it. About yeah, by that time it's like it hadn't reached circulation on TV yet. So I was when I saw it in a video shop, I was like, mum, 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 mum. Must get it. Must please, get it. Please, please, please. I know it's no, it's a fifteen. No, it's a fifteen. What can I? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So yeah, well, yeah. Watched. Yeah. So I remember it. So. Oh, no. I, I think kind of think mine must have been like a Roger Moore or something because I remember also I was quite young when like Jurassic Park came out for example in the early 90s and I think my dad went to go see it first to make sure it was suitable for me to go and see and I, th- I kind of think yeah I first got a Bond rental at the cinema I don't know but I, I, I do video think that, rental place <laughs> yeah I do think that has uh, a, it, I think it has a bit of sentimentality for me like it's what, yeah. it's what it's part of reason why I it's one of my favourites it's probably my personal favourite, you know, I think. I don't actually have that in in as much as it came out, no one was really sold on Dalton. He turned up at the premiere with some really weird sideburns. Yeah. Um, (laughs) And looking a bit odd, and it was a 15 anyway, which cut out a lot of its audience, because again, as much as they're 12 A's now and some younger children don't go, this was good family fare in the Roger Moore era because we all like to see, you know, sexual molestation. Um, but yeah, I mean, it really, it was seen that way anyway. And all of a sudden you've got this guy nobody's sure about. A lot of the posters have him sort of dressed in black, not a tux. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of, it feels... It's all very all serious. The, all the advertising for it feels more generic. It's definitely going to be a harder edge film. Instead of a larger-than-life sort of Goldfinger-type villain or somebody in a Nehru jacket, you've got a very real-world villain. And <clears throat> I can see why this film struggled. I think it's fantastic now. But what I don't actually have is, is the nostalgia from the time because I couldn't see it at the time. I saw it a couple of years later and enjoyed it well enough. But actually, I watched all of the Bond films in the lead-up to Skyfall. The film, the series was 50, 50 years old that year, I watched all of them, and License to Kill absolutely blew me away for the first time. So this has been a favourite of mine for about three and a half years, not 27 oh, years. I, well, I did not know it was that recent for you. Oh, absolutely that reason. Always liked it, always respected it. Yeah. Always kind of like Dalton, um, not as much as some people, although I do now. Um, 
But literally, I sat down and, re- and watched all of these in my mid-30s, and License to Kill sort of suddenly, oh my god, this is like a top four or five Bond film. The thing is, though, watching it in in order will do that to you. I'm, I'm very sure if listeners who listen to this listen to listen like that makes any sense i apologize but if you if you listen, you know to what you mean yeah and what and watch the films with us or you decide to do like the marathon yourself like by the time you end with roger moore and you get to zolson all of a sudden it's like oh my god thank you thank you so much yeah something it's so different isn't it yeah <laughs> it's yeah but it's, it's like what how day feels really it's just like <laughs> it's like oh my god yes thank you thank you yes we're we're back now to sanity we're back to <laughs> actually and, and, and again uh, whether you prefer the living daylights or license to kill and i genuinely don't believe there's a right answer to that there's one i think is better and there's one i prefer but i don't think i don't think you're wrong if you prefer the other one but i think that license to kill feels almost like as i said last week a bit of a fleming homage you've done something that fleming would recognize and then this week you've gone and taken that guy and that setup and put him somewhere completely new that fleming wouldn't recognize because he wasn't around in the late 80s but it feels like a a modern interpretation of what it does It it feels like they've done something fresh and not everyone's going to like that fresh which I think it's why this is probably this might just be the most divisive film in the season series. Yeah, I, I mean, it is it is fresh. I, I, but what I think what stands out, even though it is like a a new modern take, it does jump out as like this is like a storyline that Fleming would have done himself. This feels like a like a thing Bond would do in the novels. I, sat now, I think I, if he'd been in I, this era, absolutely. But I, of course. Uh, South uh, South American drug barons wouldn't have been on the thing at the time. Radar, yeah, I not, thought. not in the sort of forties, fifties, sixties, definitely. But just as but, yeah. a, but just as a like a vengeance plot, Bond avenges the death of like, well, not the death, but the uh, a misjustice of, of his friend, and go and just goes out on a rampage, you know. And it it feels like something like. Like a sort of thing, Fleming. It wouldn't go amiss in the Fleming novel, you know. Yeah, I, I, I guess what I'm. I think what I would say about this film before we get into it, and and um, I mean we haven't done officially our reaction to it individually in a minute. And when we do that, because Becca normally says, "Well, what do you think?" and we we talk about it. When we actually just say what we think in a nutshell before we get onto the film sequentially, I'd actually like Becca to go first because yeah. um, because just for once, because a she never does. And B, she is not the fan of the three of us on this film, even though she enjoys it. But I think with me that you, you talk about films you like when you were seven or eight, and that is evidently no longer you. You know, in your thirties or whatever, you're not that person anymore. And the same is true to a limited degree for ten, fifteen years before. But the version of me that fell in love with this film is me. It was recent enough that. That that person that loved that fell in love with this film is me now, effectively, and I. So this is still very very special to me. It, I think that that kind of it's odd how you always think of like the nostalgia when you're young is more potent and more powerful, but yes. I, but, I, but I think when you have that in more of your adult years, that is even more powerful. No, because your heart your heart and your head's engaged because yeah. Majesties I came to when I was around 19 or 20. 
<clears throat> maybe 18, but in that region, I was certainly an adult. This I came to in my 30s, and Casino Royale wasn't released until I was just around turning 30. So yeah. exactly. uh, the, the three Bond films that actually mean most to me are films that I came to as an adult. But if you if if I sat and daydreamed about the Bond aesthetic that I I feel the most love for is Connery because I found it as a kid. So I think the actual material is what I came to as an adult, but the look and feel is what I had as a kid. Mm. No, 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 I think they're both like important, like, important. But I think sometimes when you find we we get that we it's, it's very rare you do as well. But when you have that like you see a film for the first time or like you rewatch a film in your adult late, adult years, and all of a sudden you, something just clicks. And it's it's a very like it's a very major thing, and all of a sudden it's like, my God, what the fuck was I not? You know, why did I not see this before? It's like I I feel the same with Back to Future. I I, you know, I like Back to Future for years, and then I watched I rewatched it like a few years ago, like when I was at the cinema, and for whatever reason, watching it in the cinema, it felt like watching it again for the first time, and it just felt really magical and special. And now it's like I always like Back to the Future, but I saw it in the cinema on its 25th anniversary. And well, if you're saying a few years ago, that's when you would have. Yeah. And yeah. you fall in love with it all over again, yeah. don't you? Yeah, exactly. It's magical whenever you get to see it on the big screen. I think because it's such it's very much an event movie as well, and it's really it's held as quite a sort of just you know it's loved by so many people. I think it's one of those things whenever you see it on the big screen. Like it's one of my favorite movies as well. It's like when, I, you know, if it ever airs in the cinema, I'm like, right, I'm there, I'm going to see it. It's such a magical, magical experience. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. Kind of, so, um, Becca, before we get into the film, what did you think of it this time? Um, well, this time I'm, I might be joining you guys, um, but no, it's Dalton, when it comes to Dalton, <laughs> Dalton, 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 one of us, one of us. Well, no, it's one of those things. I mean, yeah. It's, yeah, I did always prefer um, Living Daylights just because it kind of. It's, it's going to sound really, really dumb, but it kind yeah, of. It felt it, more it, like it, a, a bomb film. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much, pretty much. But I mean, that's not to say that License to Kill doesn't. Um, I mean, it's kind of more. I was trying to equate it to, for example, like Quantum of Solace. <gasps> you know, detractors beware. Um, I like Quantum of Solace. It's I don't kind of... care. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's just, I do, it's, but this is better than Quantum of Solace. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, Miles better, yeah, definitely, I agree with that. But I was kind of labouring under the misapprehension that it was kind of more of a an action movie, generic action film, rather than like a Bond movie per se. There weren't enough of those ingredients in there. Um, they, they are. You just have to hunt harder. Hunt harder? You have to hunt more for them. Um, mm. But no, I, I I think I'm kind of, I'm in a slightly moved camp a little bit, so um, kind of watching it again with, more, with like fresh eyes. Um yeah, I definitely can prefer this one, I think. What did it give you tonight that it hasn't given you relative to license, uh, the Living Daylights in the past? Um, I just sort of realised that it was, there was actually a lot more going on, because I think I came to Dalton right, relatively late in my Bond fandom, I guess, um, and obviously growing up with, with Brosnan. Um, I think it was like the first cinematic... I think Tomorrow Never Dies was like the first Bond film I saw at the cinema, I think. Um I think Which is actually a pretty decent introduction to the character. I'm not the biggest fan of Tomorrow Never Dies, but it tells you pretty much what Bond is. Well, yeah, definitely. But we'll we'll get there when we get there. But I was I was sort of thinking when you were talking about you know the difference between like your head and your heart in terms of engaging in a Bond film. Um, just to backtrack a little bit, there's a lot of nostalgia for me for Brosnan, definitely because you know he's my cinematic Bond. Um, but I think now his his era has kind of aged quite badly. Um, but as it, you know, he was the best Bond for the 90s. 
that you know so much and so much that Craig is the best Bond for now, and then whoever the next guy will be, you know, he'll be the best one for for that particular era. Um, but yeah, in terms of what License to Kill gave me this evening, um, I think it was just they, they, for a movie that's like two and a quarter hours long, they pack a hell of a lot in. Um, and I was kind of watching the extras, and John Glenn speaks about um, Yojimbo, and basically he basically you know kind of Bond you know wanders into town, meets up with Sanchez. And just kind of sows these kind of seeds of mistrust, and it's basically that which is the villain's undoing. Your, jim- he- your Jimbo was the, oh, the, the Kurosawa, yeah, yeah, and it, and it got remade as a fistful of dollars. Yeah, so, classic Western. Yeah. Got to go check it out. So it yeah, it, it's basically the stranger rolling into town to right wrongs. Pretty much, but I kind of I love that aesthetic in terms of the story because Bond is very much like he's a, he's a lone he's a lone figure. He's acting on behalf of Her Majesty's government, but I think the fact that this time around he is he goes rogue. Um, with kind of like in all but he's basically stripped of his of his double o status pretty much kind of under the radar and this, um, and this was probably before it was done to okay. death as well now it happens in every single film he's if Bond just turned up and did a mission now we'd be what a fresh spin on the show <laughs> 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 it's like 007 you've retired you know oh I'm here you know what's up now <laughs> But no, it's just yeah. They, it's, it's one of those things. It's a really clever um, plot twist, and it's kind of and the, the villain like Robert Darby as well. He's quite he's a charismatic villain. Um, he does. Uh, there aren't very many comedic lines in this film. Um, I think he gets one of well, he gets the film's best line. What I believe it to be, it, you know, he has he's some really good quips such, throughout the film. He's such a screen presence. I think. He, I think. Oh, yeah, definitely. I. I, I kind of think Robert Darby is is underrated as an actor. Uh, he's. I, I think he should be bigger than he actually is. And I think he's he's one of my favourite screen presences as well. Whenever he turns up on the screen, I kind of go, oh, good. You know, I like, even, yeah, even, he's, even if it's he's really magnetic, like isn't he? a small role, it's just like, oh, good, Robert Davidson. You know? Yeah, <laughs> everything's going to be all right. <laughs> it's just, he's, he, he's just so watchable. And so he, he's, he's got he's got an interesting screen, um, face to look at. He's, he's got great screen presence. He's charismatic. You know, he's he he can be he can be friendly. He, he, you know, he can be he can be like the hero, or he can be like the good guy, or he can be a government arsehole like he is in Die Hard. It, you know, yeah. And he does it so effortlessly that it doesn't really feel like he's acting. It, it doesn't really and feel. And like... kind. And, and I mean, I'm not I'm not attracted to men, so I wouldn't know. But he strikes me that he's kind of half ugly, half attractive, which is <laughs> kind of interesting to look at in he's an actor. He's very grizzled, isn't he? He's yeah, but he's kind of face about him. Becca, what would you say to that? Is is that kind of a fair assumption that he's kind of ugly and attractive in the same face? I've never heard of that before. That's very weird. He, um, he, he's kind of well, like no, because I just I just thought of it. So where would you? Well, he's got that look about him, hasn't he? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, it's one of those things. Like in you know, even though he's he's the villain in License to Kill, but it's like well, he's also very charming, and he could be like your your. You know your your best buddy, but also, you know if it, if if he needs to, he'll shove, he'll stab you in the back sort of thing. He wouldn't mm-hmm. be Chris's best buddy, but I don't think Chris could keep it. <laughs> <in the stomach. laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. But um, what what really is really well good is the really well good. Like I'm I'm killing it with the grammar today. Uh, what why I think is really good about this uh, the villain this time round, and I might be wrong, but I think it's probably the first time where the the villain is is gets gets a proper character. You actually, he gets probably gets equal screen time that uh, as well as Bond. It's almost like yeah, on definitely. equal par, and you get to like know, understand his motives, 
you, you, you know how he thinks. You, you almost kind of like, can almost to an extent, see where he's coming from. It's like, you know, he's, you know, it's, yeah, he's a... He rewards he, loyalty. Yeah, it's yeah, like... Yeah, it's all about loyalty, isn't it? Yeah, and, you know, even when it's like, yeah, well, you know. If, if, if I was so minded that, like, my morality allowed me to, like, chase the goals that he's chasing... I'd happily work for Santage because I'm Santage because I don't, Sanchez. you know, I'm I'm loyal and not going to like turn my back on anyone, and he would reward that. You've got no if if you are honest with him, yeah, he's not going to do he's not going to do you any harm at all. No, that doesn't turn out to be the case at the end. Towards the end, he kind of loses it, but <laughs> yeah, he's like, "What are you? Who are you?" But I think that's quite good because like these sort of Bond movies is always. You know, kind of Bond assumes an alias, and then he's like, "Oh, you actually Mister Bond?" Blah blah blah. blah. It's not really James something it, so. as well. Yeah, that's it. But obviously, that doesn't happen here, where he, you know Bond goes off the radar and kind of you know license revoked and all, and all that jazz. Mm. But it's just I think it's just really good how like it's not until like like the last twenty twenty five minutes, you know, it's like how oh, you disappoint me, you know, and he kind of finds out. Oh, what's his name? Dario kind of rats Bond out to who, as to who he is. I just think you know he's managed to kind of string him along all that time. Should <laughs> we discuss kind of like, this film sequentially? This is a top five Bond film for me, and that's. As I think I've already discussed, it, this, that's not not nostalgia. That is me with the critical faculties I, I do or don't have now, uh, and the pluses and minuses of how I analyse a film now. You know, we are talking this decade. I sat down and said this is a very very special Bond film, and I stand by that. I prefer it to the Living Daylights. I don't think it's wrong to prefer the Living Daylights. They are slightly different beasts, and they're both of very high quality. But I think we see everything that I suppose Quantum of Solace tried to do and didn't get, but done right. The locations are good. Um, the leading man is absolutely fantastic. The, the villain is outstanding. The henchmen around him are terrific. The lead Bond girl, I, I, I wasn't so keen as a kid because I wasn't particularly, well, as a younger man, because I wasn't particularly attracted to her. But I think she's terrific and I think the dynamic's really good. And I just think this film does almost everything right. There's a couple of things as we go along, and they're really, really minor. Um, and a couple of things around casting and score and so on, but they're really minor. This is a top five Bond film, and I cannot find much wrong with it. Yeah, I'm yeah, with I'm... Dave. Um, I've, made, I've made no bones about it. This is like, not even top five, this is top three in my book. Um I I I kind of have the uh, similar sort of thing. Like not with I understand what Dave's saying with like a, a recent sort of um, viewing. It kind of clicked for me. I think it's because I liked it when I first watched it on back on VHS, and it kind of just kind of crept up on on repeat viewing that I've I've just kind of just got used to it. And then it was sort of, I think now it's like my go-to bomb film in a, in in a kind of in a weird in a weird way, and it's like the one that's like stands out. I watch most. it more than any, I watch it more than any other Bond film. Yeah, I think more or less. I mean, I love Majesties. Majesties is my favourite. So actually, no, I think I probably watch Majesties more often. But for example, when we're talking top three to five Bond films, I would watch this many more times than Casino Royale. And it's not that I think it's better. I just think it's a much easier, more enjoyable watch in a lot of ways. Oh uh, yeah, it's it's not, two, not to say a better film. I'm not it's saying two hours. That Fifteen and that viewing flies as well. Yeah, whereas Casino Royale yeah, does drag. feel like a long film, it only about six or seven minutes longer. Yeah, yeah. you can see uh, some parts 
for me parts of casino do do drag admittedly but for this one yeah they, they just they pack such a lot in and you can't you can't be bored it's impossible to be bored while watching license to kill yeah it's just really well done i mean i, I can understand why it, people won't take to it as much as others yeah because it's just not the, the normal thing but i think given it given if it was given more of a chance if there was maybe a couple of Bond films to kind of like back it up maybe we wouldn't have so much of a problem with that uh, but yeah this is like my one of my favourite films um, of the Bond series and if I if I was to as, as Dave has mentioned previously on podcast like if he would pull out um, a Bond film to show someone like okay this is this is what this is like you know someone who's watching the series for a new time I'd pull out Licence Kill if they were particularly fan of like, action films. Uh, this would be the one I choose to introduce. The action is outstanding. Yeah, it's one of the biggest yeah. stunts ever committed to cinema. It's incredible. Mm. So and yeah, and just practical and not like CGI. Yeah. Anyway, let's get into and it. I think, well, I think the last thing I just want to say before we get into the film itself is it's John Glenn's favourite of his five. Yeah. Well, too right, too right, and, and it's his best. Yeah, it's his favourite. He says that he thinks it's his best film, and I agree. I think it is his best actual film. I do, and I Ever. certainly think three of his five were very good. So I think that's high praise. I don't think he's necessarily the greatest director in the world, but of the five he did during not the most inspired era, we look back on it now, and I think three of them are very, very good. Yeah. This is definitely the strongest. And this is the strongest. Yeah, definitely. Full show. So anyway, it starts with him running out naked and raping the camera. <laughs> and then blood dribbling, dribbling down from his car. And then uh, what happened? I, yeah, I, I loved that. I loved the gumball. Oh, I mean, yeah. You didn't see the gumballs in the same way again. Yeah, we well, we talked about this on the first episode. Uh, how the, the, the Michael Kamen score for the gumball. And it all of a sudden it's like, ooh, this is different. And it's You cut it in, Chris, because it's so intense. Different. It was like, we need to like tell people what we're talking about with it's, this. It's just like I love day daylights as your standard music for Gumball and 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 but yeah I have kind of equal love for this because it just like oh yes this is like taking Bond seriously now this feels like more. I think modern. I said at the time it slices through you yeah and it has an urgency so it's kind of cutting and urgent I, I really like I, it I, yeah and I, I kind of percussion and um, Spanish guitar as well haven't you I think that's a real kind of it's, it's a real heartbeat of the movie. So um, you you know you're going to get something a bit Latin American. Oh yeah, well, obviously it's like well, yeah, every time Sanchez appears, there's the there's a the guitar. Sanchez. Sanchez. <laughs> I I'd still have like have the gumball done that way. I don't like the new gumballs now. I, I just I'd, I'd rather have it like that. I mean that that when that's... you say new, given it's been a bit of a hodgepodge during the Craig era, would yes. you include um, Brosnan in that? Yeah. Yeah. So what was your problem with the Brosnan era? Yeah, yeah. Um it's not necessarily Brosnan himself. You know, I'm not no, I, like, I, I, I kind of actually just the physicality of the actor, Brosnan's actually my favourite. Yeah. In yeah. terms of gun barrel itself. But, but it's it's the how the gun barrel as a whole is treated. Like I like why well, I, I just like Dalton anyway, because you know I'm biased and I like I like what he does with the gun barrel. But it's the it, it's the music, it's the it's the look of it. You know, Boston. They change it for each movie as well, don't they? The, the, the sound is slightly different. And... Yeah. The sound. <laughs> the the sound changes a bit. With the exception time. of Craig and a couple, well, there are other examples, but broadly speaking, the actor keeps the same gun barrel for yeah. most of their run, yeah. with the exception of Craig for different reasons. So this is the same gun barrel as, as last week, but 
totally different music, and it and it sets such a different tone for the same visual. Yeah, yeah from the get go. This this the music for for Brosnan just feels like it's like straight off like your your N sixty four Golden. Yeah, you know, video it, game. It just feels like that. Like I, I don't know. For me, I just preferred like the the bigger the bigger grander kind of build. You know, it just I I think if you're gonna move on in the series, I think it should go more that direction. Uh, yeah, so we mean business. So we yeah. mean business now. <laughs> so yeah. Okay. So basically, that sort of seven or eight seconds of a guy walking left and turning and shooting at the camera, we've just done about four minutes on. (laughs) (laughs) And then we cut straight to, I believe it's the Florida Keys. Yes. And Felix Leiter is getting married. Yeah, marrying Della. He's left it it till he's, you know, about 70. (laughs) He still looks all right, though. He looks quite convincing, because I think, obviously, they were worried if he was going to be quite old, but he he looks good. I've got opinions about this. Um... I would rather they beefed up the role in Living Daylights, had anyone but John Terry, and then carried on the same guy into this film. Yeah, it's a bit random getting um, David Hedison back, isn't it? Well, David Hedison, who I have no problem with, except the guy was born in, like, 1922 or something. So at this point, he's about 67. He's get he's, he's well over 20 years older than, than um, Dalton. And whilst he looks very, very good for his age, that generational difference between them is becoming more and more obvious to me the older I get. I just took it for what I, what it was at the time. But now they're supposed to be like best friends and it comes off as, no, you're generationally too different. I, yeah, I, I understand Dave's point. Uh, I just don't have that much of a problem with it. I, I do think it's a, it's a, it's, it gets away with it. It's a nitpick. Yeah, look, it is a nitpick. I don't feel that strong. You, you, about you, look, we, we watch it and we just accept that. Well, well, Felix Leiter is older, you know. But there's no reason why they can't be friends. And he looks good. He looks yeah. really good for his age. Yeah. I have to say that it's okay. Yeah, he looks good. Yeah. So it, it just to me, it's like, yeah, okay, he gets away. He looks like on the, like, he's just he's out in his fifties. I think that's, that's fair to say. Would you? Would you yes. Yeah. yeah. And like, and say, and say Dalton's probably like, yeah, you know, right at the late end of his thirties, like maybe forty-one tops. So there's to look yeah, at, yeah. Yeah. Maybe. So like, you know, mid forties. I mean, you could buy. If someone told you there were seven years between them, you might just buy it. Yeah. But it's pushing it. It yeah, is so pushing slightly. it. But there's no reason why they can't be friends, and, and and the fact that they work in the field that they are, and obviously Bond is more active in the field and maybe feel it's, no, it's no wonder Delic definitely wants to do James well it is 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 the thing it, it, she is very very kissy <laughs> they are very she like is. they are poppers like they're like snogging on wedding day and things like that it's like that's just a bit but she's like she's like you know the tradition you know we get to kiss the best it's a tradition it's a tradition to suck off the groom I promise I mean I mean what I mean what exactly did she mean when she like threw like the 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 the, 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 the like, yeah. yeah the garden like yeah, there's this next one who and like I was like mm. but what does that mean? It's like no uh, is 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 Felix okay with you banging his wife or is it <laughs> is, is is it like a, a thing where like well she's gonna fuck him anyway so <laughs> might as well just let it happen <laughs> or you know but yeah the way I like to, this is the way I like to think about it um, you know it's, it's only because I mildly think about it maybe just a little bit but I just I you just... think about it when you're on your own late at night <laughs> But I, yeah. and, you but have, I... and you can't remember what Robert Darby looked like enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, what I uh... you love it. Yeah, but what 
what the way I read it is that they're, they're presumably that uh, Darla and Bond have like previously been together and now she's marrying got together with Felix got and marrying him. So, so you so you're romantically seeing it as a sloppy second storyline. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Bond fan fiction. Yeah. Okay. Basically, basically, but yeah, that that, that you know she, they, she she met Felix through Bond. And then they like get married, so that the Bob they... was like, "I'm bored of you now." Hop, hop, hop. <laughs> well, you know, I yeah, moved on to the girl of the week. Yeah, Off you get. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bonds never like uh, you know commitment type, is it? So that's basically what it is. I've never thought of it like that before. Well, it, it, me neither. I, I must confess. To be honest, I made it up in my head, so I can't. But that's just how I. <laughs> Again, I late at night, a bit bored. <laughs> yeah. No Robert Darby photos. Yeah. Robert Darby photos to go by. Oh dear! But you better not listen to us now. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> So things yeah, Becca favourite in him earlier, and now we're, gonna, now we're implying Chris like jerks off to him. <laughs> so we definitely are. <laughs> I'm going to do it now. Hang on a minute. I'm going to friend Robert Darby and say my mate Chris loves you. No, don't do it. <laughs> Why not? The, 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 the don't thing worry. Is... I'm going to do it from our account, so I don't get any blame for it. <laughs> yeah, just put love back there. Um... <laughs> don't do that. Oh my I god. Yeah, I will put love back. You're all right. That... The thing is, that listeners are going to listen to this thinking, like, what, what's with all these picture Chris Raffler jokes with Robert Darby? I'm going to die of embarrassment, bloody hell. Oh, hang on, I've just followed him from my own account. That's, that's a bit dodgy. <laughs> I've already followed him on Twitter, don't worry. Sorry? But I've already followed him from my own account on Twitter, don't worry. Oh, that's awesome. I can talk straight to him and just say, my mate Chris loves you. Is it weird that I actually am not following him, but there you are? Well, I am. Well, no, so you've you got to play it. you got to play it. <laughs> Oh dear. I'll have to uh, get him on the show. Well, not get him on the show, but you know. Sorry? Anyway, so after. Anyway. No, I'm, I'm actually putting it now. Our mate at Cinematronics loves you. Please come on our show. <gasps> oh. You're witnessing history here, folks. Very exciting. Please. How would Man you. Have, stuff on when I please come on our show, how would you like me to spell that? <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Qual- quality podcasting here, folks. Don't! <laughs> I'm dying with embarrassment here. <laughs> oh anyway, so. <laughs> what took us so long to get Moffat Connell on the show, people? So, um, so right, so. Well, we, we didn't suggest Chris wanted to blow him. No. I know, so... speaking of Sanchez, um, I noticed that. <laughs> so, plot, everyone! <laughs> so, so, can, oh, can yeah. you just ask how far we actually got into this film? We've, we've barely got into. The... We've got to the erection (laughs) over Robert Darby part portion of the film. It's like we're like over forty minutes, and we've not even like been barely started the opening sequence. (laughs) What a Darby, Chris! My sides, my sides. Well, speaking of many, I noticed that um, he doesn't wear any socks. Out of the credits, (laughs) and Felix is married. To Della. Well, he's we getting married. Of... Well, no, he, he was going into the church and pre-title, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, Back that... to... They're at the... Um, what are they at? They're at the reception as... Uh, at their home while Sanchez is being broken out by a drug enforcement agency agent. Yeah, it's a uh, killer Killifer. Dead killer yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I I like that actor. He's in if you those know he's in Twin Peaks. But, yes, that's um, where I seen bear, him. And bears oh. other stuff. But he's uh, yeah again he's another like sort of screen presence kind of guy. He's, he's a really good like character actor, isn't yeah. he? I think. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, well, this one another reason why I like this film so much is got well, obviously excellent cast. There's also got like big names, so really good sort of character actors who you've seen in lots of different things, but you know they're going to give you a good performance. I really think that uh, as much as I just said that I I, I think that you know, maybe you've cast Felix a little bit old. I, I do believe these relationships. I, I do believe that the friendship, and I do believe James has a perfectly sort of healthy relationship with the two of them. And I, and I really am sold this sequence. I think, it, and it's so important with what's about to come next. James Bond is about to throw away everything he has to avenge what's about to happen. And if you don't buy that, they're both so important to him. It's not going to work. So it is important that for all the joking aside about oh, Betty Shagda and all the rest of it, it's quite important to have a scene where it is just the two of them. Mm. So that we know he likes Felix. We've seen it in loads of films. So it's important that we buy that he knows the two of them, he cares about the two of them. And I think it's all set up really nicely. And, and also we do, we, we do get vaguely and obtusely introduced to Pam Bouvier too. Yeah, and she's very steely in this, isn't she? Like, I, I, I always, always find like her tones very different in the, in the beginning of the film towards the end. I, I, I find her character completely like yo-yos from one thing to another. It's like for the moment she has, gets a haircut, she'll soon she turns into like, oh James. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> for me anyway. But um, but yeah, she in in this scene she's very um, steely. She's like pretty much like. Bond, do I give a fuck? <laughs> she walks out. Um, but yeah. So we don't know what's going on. We know that basically they've they've taken Sanchez in the opening sequence, which we didn't. We were too busy jerking off over Robert Darby that I don't think we explained the opening sequence no, at no. all. If you guys were, it's a good opening about, sequence. Is he's good about op- to get he's about to get married, but they get they get wind that Sanchez is on the move. And they basically capture his plane in midair with another plane, which sounds ridiculous, but it's a fantastic stunt done. It's an amazing me. stunt. Was, and then they sort of skydive into the wedding, and we go into the final Maury Spinder um, title sequence, and it's one of his better ones. Yeah, just I was quite impressed in, with this one actually. Just in that it doesn't look like the rest of them. <laughs> it looks slightly classier, even though it is kind of like trope. Like, okay, it's the same, but they're all eating Ferrero Rochers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's but, like, rather than silhouettes of dancing ladies, there are actually dancing ladies, and I think there's kind of more aspects of like because you see like a gambling table, um, like through a silhouetted image of a hand, um, and there's kind of a bit more a little to do with like gambling, kind of spies and spying as well. There's a lot more thematic elements in it, which I think is hey, very different. Robert, <laughs> Robert Darby has just replied. <gasps> Twitter. Seriously, go to Twitter and answer him, Becca, because I've done the twatting about, but you can do the real bit. Oh, shit. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm absolutely serious. Live on the show, Robert. Live Darby. on the show, people. Hold on. Is it no, fuck off? <laughs> no, it's, no he's, he's put, let's work it out. <gasps> awesome. I'm absolutely... So, yeah, I, I didn't really have my phone off. i get Robert Darby on the show. <gasps> let's do it. Oh, my God. Yeah. That'd we'll be amazing. we on Tomorrow Never Dies. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be amazing if we did a commentary. Why don't we get him, oh, I wonder if we can get him on to commentate on License to Kill. <gasps> That'd be fantastic. Uh, yeah, we've got to do that. Um, That's why I call it people. Yeah, right. You yeah, might but be our, wishful but thinking but there. But... Story, but our cover story is you're in love with him, Chris, all right? So you've got to, like, <laughs> stop. You've, you've got to, like, compliment his pecs all the way through. Let's figure out. You can answer well, that. Okay. Well, we just, right. do, just, do, just, do an, just do an interview. 
I don't trust myself, and I've done the silly. I've done the brave bit you wouldn't do, so you can carry on. No. <laughs> Becky, you ready? Just... To... You can talk to him now. Oh god, I'll say okay. Well, honestly, oh, I mean, listeners would back me up. I mean, of the three of us, listeners, which one would you trust <laughs> to talk to? I bet I'm bottom of that list. <laughs> and I'm, I'm the just one who went, Hey, my mate loves you, love Becca. Oh. The the thing is that you probably behave yourself though, Dave, wouldn't you? Yeah, of course I would. So what should I say to him? <laughs> Send him a message. Once I've masturbated, I really calmed down. Should we? Should... <laughs> uh, I don't know. Should we figure out when we after we record the podcast? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think we should carry on as we are. I'm just telling you all like Robert Darby's just written back to us. I know. I'm massively starstruck. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're I'm the one looking forward to talking it. to him, so get, get your shit together, Becca. <laughs> I know. Jesus, I'm looking forward to it. So anyway, we get the Maury Spinder sequence, which is okay. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think the song like helps it a lot more as well, because I really like the song. I love the song, and it's not a favourite in this series of, of, a, of a lot of people, but I think it's really great. And um, What I have to do here is, unfortunately, I have to give another plug to QD Music, because... Their version of it is phenomenal. It'll blow you away. It's full of passion, full of emotion, and it's a real epic. So if you feel, can, yeah, to, to, you can if, seek them out. Cue the music if you're listening. Feel free to appear on the show if you're <laughs> fronted by Robert Darby that night. <laughs> and also make sure that the Queen, Samuel L. Jackson, Roger, <laughs> Roger Moore, also. Roger Moore, and who was the other one? There was another one we reckon. Somebody that was, else. <laughs> and somebody else. Um, somebody <laughs> who doesn't listen. <laughs> Oh, I would like to get um, Warren and Co on at some point. That would be really good. Um, but no, definitely this the cover of it. It's yeah. phenomenal. It's if you don't like Gladys Knight, if you don't like this one, listen to their version of it, and and you'll be a convert instant convert instantly. You'll be a convert. You'll be a convert. You'll be converted to it. Though. Highly recommend it. Yeah. I mean, what really impressive performance. What I didn't realise till fairly recently was this is actually it riffs on Golden uh, Goldfinger. Uh, oh, that's the actual true. song's yeah. like. Oh yes, it does. It does. They had to. They had to pay royalties for it. Yeah. Mm. So because yeah, the chord the chord structure is similar, yeah. isn't it? Is that yeah? So I, I didn't realize. Almost it's, it's basically like a repeat of Goldfinger, really, but with uh, mm-hmm. you know, obviously with drama added drama. Added Gladys Knight. Yes, added Gladys Knight. It is, it's very much, very much a. I could also imagine Shirley Bassey singing it because it's a very kind of big bombastic kind of song as well, isn't it? So. Yeah. yeah. I, I like it. Less so, Cheryl Crow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hey, she, she was she was the hot thing in the nineties. That sounds mm. a bit rubbish. Um, <laughs> I, I yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll repeat this again, but I'll be. Honest, I remember it being out at the time, and like when it, when it was announced that she was doing it, I was like, really, Cheryl Crow? Really? Are you, <laughs> you sure about that? I mean. <laughs> Maybe three well, years. It's, it's Maybe right three up there years with all ago. The stunt casting in that era. Yeah, it really was. No, when they said when they said um, Gladys Knight, I was a little bit surprised. I I did expect them because the last couple had gone with sort of chart hits or at least people within a year or two of their chart peak. I did expect something more of its time, but I, I really like this song. Expecting maybe Phil Collins or something like that, or yeah. That'd be uh, real cute, wouldn't it? Well, it, it, Bill Collins. It, it was it was offered to Eric. Yeah, Eric not now, but it was offered to Eric Clapton apparently, and they were good. He was going to do like something along those lines. Yeah, but um, obviously didn't happen. But there you are. 
What would it yeah. sound like? So, Sanchez does get broken free by Killifer, and his men go to basically take revenge on Felix for capturing him in the first place. And they kill Della and feed, well, part of Felix to a shark. He loses his leg. I believe he might lose part of his arm as well. He certainly does in the book. Mm. He loses he loses limbs in um, Live and Let Die, isn't it? Yeah. So I think, yeah. So I think it's homage. They used the same actor from um, Live and Let Die to reprieve his role. I think you definitely needed a Felix you recognise. Yeah. I, I, um... Because they're all so meaty as well, for want of a better word as well. They couldn't bring back somebody like John Terry or Cecil Linda, for example. Cecil Linda. <laughs> I think Cease Linda was dead by this point. Yeah, he might have, he might have sadly passed. But um, yeah, you, you kind of want somebody who's going to be definitely more recognisable um, mm. other than JT. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm reasonably happy with it. But we are immediately set up that literally the day of their wedding, because Stella's still in her wedding dress when she's killed. Before oh. that, we get a reference to Tracy. Yeah, yeah that's kind of, it's, very, it's very sad, isn't it? It's kind of very much on the nose as well. It's really well played as well. Mm, yeah, really done really well, sort of bristling. You think, oh. Well, yeah, because he's still kind with it. it he's, um, he's, he's not a bad guy, is he? Tim Dalton's Bond is just not a bad guy. Yeah. Connie would have just told to flat out fuck off or something. Then, but... He would. Oh, Connery would have fucked her four times before the, <laughs> the cake. Out of politeness. <laughs> but I do think that's, that's really grim. I mean, we were talking about um, like Sanchez and like the nature of, of his being a villain. Like when he sort of feeds lighter to the shark, he's like, oh, it's nothing personal, you know, purely business. And you just think, what a bastard. <laughs> no, well, the bastard thing is, though, when he says, oh, I'll see you in hell, it's like, oh, no, you're like, this is, the, this is the first day for the rest of your life, kind of like applying that. I, I'm not going to kill you. I'm just going to make you, cripple you and make you kind of... Like mourn for the mourn for the loss of your wife, you know, and let let your life live out like that because that's just somehow even crueler. Really, it's you know, I'm just gonna kill you. We're not gonna kill you. I'm gonna kill your wife and then handicap and you. Take off a limb or two for the rest of your life. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really kind of that's fucking brutal, you know. Yeah, though Felix is bearing up quite nicely by the end of the film. He's all <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Let's go fishing next Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, he's like going fishing and. Uh, but yeah, he gets a chance to try out those multicolored lures he got for his uh, his wedding present. Yeah, so basically, <laughs> Bond is Bond is off to the airport. He's done. He's been to his friend's wedding. He's off to the funeral, and as he's about to sort of sign in at the uh, departures gate or whatever it is, mm. get his tickets, get his boarding pass or whatever it is, uh, police cars are, are are sort of racing by, and he says to the the, the check in lady that what's happening and she says some major drug dealers escaped and, and like, before they can go any further bond has absolutely sprinted out of the airport yeah he's not stupid no no he, he's, he's put two together it's like shit better check on feelings i need to get back there yeah, yeah. And, uh so he goes back to the uh the house and finds uh della dead uh which is kind yeah of... which i'm really glad this wasn't brosnan yeah, because he would have kissed her for like. Bro- Bro- Brosnan would have yeah. had a good feel before she was cold. Yeah, that's, that's the one thing I don't like about Tomorrow Never Dies. Just that scene between him and Paris. He just, oh, well, <laughs> that's not a good touch. Do you wish they'd gone all the way, Becca? <laughs> no. Yeah, no. 
It's the opposite end of the back. Whilst Dr. Kaufman just watches. <laughs> I could shoot you from shortcut. I'm still curious. It's a proper effect. Yeah, he'll, he would show them his aim, wouldn't he? <laughs> yes, he, he would. <laughs> I could shoot you from here. This is so hot. <laughs> I'm still curious. It's a proper effect. <laughs> All right. So anyway, Dalton Dalton does the does does the right thing and doesn't fuck a corpse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he, he's furious. Yeah, you, you can tell he's like really. He, he, he literally, when he goes, Della, it's like, you know, he can oh. actually sense like, oh, sh-, he's like, he's really generally upset. Um, yeah, it's not just like Roger Moore, like, oh, she's dead. It's it's pretty much like he he checks. He, her he, he feels like, it, doesn't he? He really yeah. feels it. And he's like, that. Uh, he, he says, taking a moment there was. Yeah, you really feel like that anger in his eyes, like. Yeah, but it doesn't. Out. It doesn't come off as. It is a bit Connery-esque when he's seething, but it's not. It's personal now. No, it's played so <laughs> brief. But the, and the, I buy it. It's the, great. The, the bit that really um, is the bit where he finds uh, lighter and it gets on the phone and just he kind of like he's almost like mumbling or not. He's kind of like stutter, trying to stutter the words out, like because he's just kind of like trying to process what the fuck's just gone on, and it's just—it's not just simple like, "God damn it, I'm angry." Yes. He's, and he's again, really we've up, got something from the book uh, where he disagreed with something that ate him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was in the book as well. Yeah, yeah. not yeah. the book *License to Kill*. There is no book yeah. *License to Kill*, but but the book where um, Lighter loses limbs. Yeah, like that. And. Yeah, yeah, it's just him. fantastic. I just it's really clever this line, film is set up so good at this point. I think it's because they borrow so much from Fleming, I think, and also you got yeah. the scale of Dick Maybaum yeah. and Michael G. Wilson as well. So, but it, it, you know, the, people say this doesn't feel like a Bond film. Well, it's probably one of the most the last Bond, Bond films there is. <laughs> it, it totally is. It is. This is to put it in such a silly way. So, so Fleming in its way. Yeah. Um, whilst Fleming would recognise Living Daylights a lot more because it looks more like stuff he's done, this is is much more the essence of of the character. But uh, I really, yeah, and um, of course, do we go straight to M from here? No, no, no. We we have a bit of a... He goes to the Crest Warehouse, doesn't he? Well, he, he, well, the, the police are at, at the house. We cut to the police at the house, and he's sort of like tell them, and he's like, "There's the the, the uh, detective tells him oh, it's probably a chainsaw," and um, and we cut to the hospital where chainsaw sh- am I? Yes, I know yeah. Yeah. Sure when I see one. Yeah, sh- oh, girl Sharky. Um, <laughs> oh dear, poor Sharky. Yeah, well, <laughs> basically Coral Mark Three now is it on? We're on? I don't know. Pretty much Coral Junior Junior. Yeah, yeah, Coral Junior Junior. But um. Yeah, he uh, yeah. So he kind of like he, he figures out the DNA, the, the DNA. Jesus, just just doing my fucking assignments now. <laughs> the, D, the DEA come in and he's like, "Well, what what the what are you what are you doing about?" And it, it tastes their DNA. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, he they they come in and he says, "Oh, basically, we can't do anything." He's like buggered off back home. Where it's out of our jurisdiction. He's like, "Well, fuck that." Let's go shark hunting. <laughs> um, yeah, so we... I would love that if that was both the dialogue and the delivery. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> Let's go shark hunting. Dun, dun, dun. It would be if I was it, but um, yeah. So he, he goes to uh, he goes he, he goes to like uh, what what you bet said, Becca. To the um, the wave crest. That's the one warehouse. Yeah. Well, it's, it's probably just the Crestwell house by now, I guess. Yeah, it's um, basically lots of maggots. 
Yeah, yeah so, he's, 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 he's posing as obviously Univex, he's in the old Univex cover, and he's like, yeah. oh, what was that, is that a Carcaridon, Carcaridus or something like that? Yeah, Great White. Shark, basically. Yeah, it's a Great White Shark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I can't say it as trippingly as, uh, as Dolphin does. No, no, no. But um, it, it, I, I, I like I like it. I like when Bond is just like, oh, I'm just poking nose in, seeing what's what. And the into maggots. Yeah, and there's a, a great, great scene where basically he's getting fobbed off with bullshit, essentially, like it always does. But uh, it's just that little sort of glance he sees, and he, he kind of like gets the proof. You see it off camera. We, we see him look at something, and he goes like, "Well, thank you. I'll see you later." And just like basically just goes out, and the camera just pans, and you see like the the wedding uh, flower. Uh, I don't know what the name's called, but that. Uh, that okay. Yeah. Not there's not a bouquet, but the other thing you have on your jacket. I don't know. Oh, a little bit of yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's just that sweet up in the corner. The thing you have on your jacket, vomit at the end of most things <laughs> I've been to, but carry on. Yeah, we're basically we're basically proof that. Oh, it's late. We forget our words. Yeah, ba- basically that's why that, proof that we knows Lysa was here. So it's like, it, I think it's really well done that bit. I think it's really sort of well played. It gives you that bit of seed information, doesn't it? It's the whole kind of you know show don't tell. Yeah, this is really good. Well, we know like we know he was there anyway, but yeah, it's just like when we see Bond triggers, like think actually see it, think oh what's he yeah. seen, and he what it pans and you actually see it. It's like really well done. Um, so it. so Bond's like right, I'm gonna fucking go in and find some more evidence. Thank you very much. Um, and he sort of sneaks in with Sharky, doesn't he? Yeah, I think um, yes. Ben Killer ends up going the same way, doesn't he? He gets fed to the sharks. I was trying to be in bribe off, you know, pay off with like two okay, million. Just Bond puts his hand in, in maggots and then he gets caught. And uh, <laughs> so I was gonna, then I moved on to say, uh, fake okay, ass maggots. After that. Yeah. <laughs> they're sort of, they're, okay. they're rather fake looking. Yeah, it, it was, and no doubt. But I mean, the, the thing is, this film cost 42 million, which sounds quite comfortable, but everything on the special features talks about corner cutting and trying to save money. It's nearly all shot in Mexico. Um, there's very little sort of pine wood or anything like that. Uh, there's very little globe trotting in this. It, there's only a couple of locations and they're very close to each other. So, yeah, I mean, for one of the last times in this film, the last time is going to be next week. We've got some dodgy back projection um, in places. So, yeah, this is not comparatively for its era an expensive film. But I don't mind so, that. I don't, I don't that, mind that yeah, at all. I don't mind it because it's. Quite it, and if there's one film that's going to get away with being a bit stripped back, this is it. Mm. So I don't have a problem at all. But it, it, it's not an expensive film. Do we move on to Q from? Sorry, to M from then. Basically, yeah. He there's a big yeah. sequence, and then yeah, I think I think it would get along the lines where basically um, the DEA pulls him aside, and it it kind of slightly suggests that oh, we're going to get a Blofeld back. Are we going to get Blofeld back? Because it's like a mysterious guy, cats everywhere. Uh, yeah, it does look a bit like Blofeld, doesn't it? You kind of get that get that vibe. Yeah, which which would have been like a random way to just obviously bring back Blofeld, wouldn't it? And now he's into <laughs> South American back <laughs> and drugs. He's at um, Hemingway yes. House, which is a really cool location. Yes. So yeah, Bond is is caught up with by M, who wants him to report back because he's late for duty for another mission. And Bond basically puts him in the picture that, hang on a minute, I'm not finished here. And because we've already been shown that the police aren't going to do anything, they don't know how to deal with Sanchez, um, 
Bond is like, well, I need to get involved. And he's just told, you can't. You, I need you to deal with this. Leave it to the CIA. Well, they're not going to do anything. And effectively, he resigns and is told his license to kill is revoked. And then, a country club to seven. Sorry? We're not a country not club. Country club, club to yeah. it's, and then, it's probably the uh, best Robert Brown like as their moment, I think. Yeah, I think so. I'd agree with yeah. that. And I'm not sure any as much as he's not my favourite M, I don't know that any of the the other M's would have played it any better. I think it was really good. Yeah. Um but the thing that does baffle me is they appear to then want to kill Bond instantly. Which is a bit odd. And not only that, but the scene is fluffed because he, they, they stop on the basis that there's too many people there. And the first shot you see, there's 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 no one there. Well, it's in the inside complex, isn't it? It's, it's like, just, it's yeah. just like, I think I said this in an earlier episode talking about this film. Read the script before you block the shot. No, <laughs> there are too many people. Show us that there are too many people. They can be in the distance or going about their business or whatever, but show us there are too many people. Don't go, there's Don't too many people. There's nobody there except like, MI6. The, the things that you could, you could have easily said, like, uh, it's like okay, the script says like there's too many people, but you could actually, you could just look at, look at your set and go, should we just like not say that line? Because it would have worked either way. It would have worked if like if if M just said stop shooting and then like those pause. He's like he kind of like says good luck double seven or something like that. Or you know it would have worked just as well. There's no need for it. But yeah, you could have done anything. You could have done something in ADR and had yeah. like a cutaway or anything. So yeah, it's it's not that big a deal. It's a nicely played scene, but it is one of the like. People who don't like this film would ridicule that. They would just so you look at well, look at that. That how amateurish is it? But then he, um, so what does he do next? Because he ends up relatively wealthy in a short period of time to be yeah, able to fund his, fund his fund his adventures. Yeah, well, essentially goes back to um, Crest, <laughs> and he finds uh, the uh, Chantage's girlfriend on board. Lupe is clearly miserable. We've seen her in an early scene in the film where Sanchez catches her in bed with somebody else and whips her as a yeah. as a um as but a punishment. He takes out the man's heart, doesn't he? But he yeah. also says, yeah, he does take the old man's heart out and he also says you you're something like your escapades are getting more adventurous. So she's sort of bordering on open rebellion. Yeah, she's well, she's the cat woman, isn't she? So she doesn't want to be there. No. But she's scared of him. She's would the you, one that bonds liberate. Yeah, if like if she, if she was that, I mean, would you, <laughs> would you say she's kind of suicidal to an extent? Because if Sanchez is that fucking ruthless, because I, I don't, I never get the impression that Sanchez like has a really that much of a shine to her that he just wouldn't just like have her killed in a heartbeat. She's a bit of a trophy. Yeah, yeah she is. Well, that's it. In, in this movie, you've got basically like the the woman who's like the equal trying to be equal to Bond, so somebody like like Jinx, for example. Um, unfortunately, Sorry, failing um, or yeah, well, I'm trying to think of somebody you know from CIA that kind of stable. Um, anyway, never mind, bad comparison. Um, but then yeah, Lupe's there basically the trophy, obviously. So yeah, so uh, from from that point, he, he meets meets up for finds out that um, that she's got beat that she's beaten. So you get you get aspect explained to Bond, and then uh, then you see Sharky get killed, and it's like another like oh fuck. <laughs> it's like it's another like it's another twist in an eye for Bond because it's like that's another ally dead, which is kind of his doing. <laughs> it's like it's kind of like, he, but but it, it kind of sparks off 
his rest of his most of the films like I Work Best Alone, like every, like whenever Pam Bouvier or Q later on, he's every 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 opportunity is like right, your work's done, go. Like every moment, he, he you know he must have says it like five times in the film. I think this is like a moment which is kind of like for for Bond says no, I I have to, I can't risk anyone else's life. Yeah, because this isn't a sanctioned mission. He's not surrounded by like agents who've signed up to this. Mm. He's signed up to. Pe- He's got people around him who are kind of doing him a favour, and you know we're already getting a bit of a body count with it. So it's kind of it's kind of sad when you see Sharky just hanging there. It's like oh Sharky, because he's a likable guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so naturally Bond, you know, uh, kills a guy who had like a shot, uh, like a snidey mark. For the death of his friend, <laughs> which I kind of like, it's a good action scene Revenge. as well. Yeah, so yeah, so he basically he, he sti- there's a big uh, drug deal going on. Uh, there's there's a buying heroin heroin with with the money, and basically Bond uh, steals the plane loaded with the money. Essentially, that, that's how he gets the money, and that funds his adventures in Ithmacity. In where? Where is that, Dave? That's uh, his adventures in Ithmacity. <laughs> it's a fake country. It doesn't really exist, people. It doesn't exist, and if it was, no. I'm not sure you'd pronounce it. Is, isn't, no. it isn't it? Isn't it? That's that city that's like used in films, like as a, a fictional kind of city in Mexico or something like that. Isn't it used like in Die Hard Two? And oh, I, I I don't know. Oh, probably. Genuinely, yeah, I don't th- know. there is like uh, yeah, I, I think it's used more than once as well. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll look it up, but I'll... yeah, you might be right there, Chris. It's, but, it's like. Yeah. It's like if, if, if you want to use, say you've got like an unsavory project, do you want to attach your name for it? You could be like directed by Anna Smithy or something. Well, yeah, I think it's like a it's nondescript, like, all oh, right, what's... Well, uh, Generic place. Yeah, that has all drug laws and criminals and things like that, but it's okay because it's fictional. It's not like, you know, it's like coming up with a, a, a city over here and it's just like, and, and talking about it in such like, it's where all the bad guys come from. You know, it's like, well, <laughs> it's okay we can say that because it doesn't fucking exist. You know, so... Anyway, sorry, carry on. No, it's Did you spot speech. that the mayor of the City <laughs> is um, Pedro Armendariz Jr.? It is. It's the son of uh, Karen Bay. Yeah. Interesting tidbit there. They yeah. probably knew that already. <laughs> Who died fairly young himself, actually. Yeah, very sad. Tragic with that family. But before he goes to Ithmathy, he... Um, <laughs> he um, I'm going to pronounce that properly now, honest. Um, he goes to Felix's house, breaks through the police cordon, and just checks out the office to find out what's going on. And Sanchez has a disc that has information on it. And basically, all of the contacts on it are deceased, with the exception of a Pam Bouvier, who is a CIA pilot. Um, And the rest of them are being killed off. I think there are people that are basically infiltrated in some way or another, Sanchez, and they've all been killed off. And that only leaves Pam Bouvier. There's uh, a meeting at sort of a Florida a Florida bar that evening, or we assume that evening, uh, that's there arranged with him and Felix. And so Bond obviously goes to that meeting to catch up on her and meet with her. And, um, yeah, he ends up seeing that she is being surveilled from the bar. She would be killed if he wasn't there. I, I kind of like the scene, even though it does go into your standard stereotypical. Um, early... Turns into Roadhouse. Yeah, basically. It it's, does. It's Roadhouse. like yeah, it's that kind of like that bar fight that happens in like in any film where 
one person. But everyone starts fighting <laughs> yeah. spontaneously. Whatever happens, yeah. one person spills his pint over someone, that person retaliates, and suddenly people on the other side of the bar are having a furious yeah. punch-up. Yeah. <laughs> why, why like sma- smashing bottles over heads and that. But it's a pretty good scene, and, and Dalton sells me. And again, we're only we're not that long still after Roger Moore, like or dislike him, not necessarily the uh, the best at action. And all of a sudden, we've got a guy who can really do it, and it's really very good. I think this scene is not bad at all. No, no, it's it, it's fine. I mean, I think it's kind of of its time as well. I think because it's. I think uh, when it comes to like is it um, ninety eight this kind of this this is the kind of scene you find in most of these types of films. So I think it's kind of there as well to kind of like kind of play catch up and with be all the, with be all the other films rather than kind of foot like falling behind on like cliche or Roger Moore kind of things. You know, I think it it I think the the Bond producers were kind of worried that their series was kind of starting to date somewhat. So I think they wanted to kind of bring it up. And, and they'd be right to. They yeah. would be right to. And it's a bit of an irony to me that like everyone says, oh, this is just trying to copy Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, etc. And I think, well, you might be right, but can you imagine if A View to a Kill had come out this year? You know, whether you like A View to a Kill or not, it was already a bit anachronistic when mm. it came out. So, yeah, I can sort of understand why they went this route. And the thing is, as much as it is still the Bond series not innovating... It's done really well. I, I don't think this is. I never think of this film as pay or knockoff. I really don't. No, no. It's because it just feels right for the tone. It just feels like it. Just, it, 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 it. Sure, it has some parts that are similar to those sort of films, but at the same time, it it, it kind of feels like still new. Like it's like it's it's. It feels like it's its own thing. It feels like stepped away from the traditional Bond formula and just said, right, we're gonna just sort of change things up a bit and just make, you know, try something new, change the bonds that you know and love and kind of modernise it and make it a bit more gritty, make it a little bit more like the Connery films, like, as they probably would be like if they were made now, and just, mm-hmm. yeah, just move on. I think that that's, that's, the, that's the way forward. Um, just an update, uh, that fictional um, place uh, actually is, uh, what well, it wasn't the place I was thinking of, but it was actually used in Commando and... Uh, and Predator as well and things like that. Commando. Yeah. Feature length film about not wearing any pants. Yes. Um so yeah, that's it was, that that's it's not the place in uh my six kill, so I just thought I'd not be that I'll date you on that. Uh don't want anyone to think I'm like any film geeks shouting at me for being wrong. <laughs> no, you can politely say he's wrong because he knows. Yes. <laughs> so there we are. Anyway, um Yeah, so from here, uh Pam goes from being very icy, very kind of like, like, fuck, like, fuck you. A rare I, misstep. I, I, I don't need you to all of a sudden just like, fucking Dalton straight, like, like instantly. I'd like it, it's 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 so it just feels like I where the fuck. Did it's that jarring. Come yeah, it's really jarring. It's not very well done. No, it's quite odd, I, isn't it? This is a film I really really love, but th- this is a rare misstep within it. It's one of the, the weakest scenes in the film, I think. And, and it's because they can't... They've got he, They've got to get him to Isthmus City because we've had a lot of this film... We've had quite a lot of running time in this film already for where we are. And so they've got to sort of flip her to interested in him kind of quickly. And yeah, so... Best way to do it? Well... It's rushed. And 
does it kill the film? No, and it's not. It's still not as bad as the love story Inspector. Though I think I kind of buy the the moment when they have sex more because it feels a bit more of like a like a like an entertaining like sort of rush of passion, you know, after like after a big you know life threatening <laughs> fight. fight scene. Yeah, but this time it's like, well, no, they they stopped and we actually watched them have a conversation about something. So yeah, I don't. It doesn't feel like. And the why don't you ask me that that they play on that that line pays off at the, in the end, yeah, at the very end of the film. Yeah, it's reversed at the end, isn't it? Um, and we also get the best. We it's a couple of scenes on from this, but the way she is here leads us to the second most famous double take in the series after the pigeon. <laughs> yeah. After the pigeon, when, when he sees her after the makeover, and he's Very like, trendy. "Rather <laughs> dashing, executive secretary, talk." <laughs> If it's Roger Moore, he'd, his eyebrow would be like, <laughs> yeah, it would be. But it's 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 fine. I mean, like she, you know, I think she suits with the short hair. I don't know what was Much, she yeah, was she the... wearing a wig. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I thought so because yeah, it doesn't look like it. But um... no, it looks awful. Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So basically, they, they, they buy, uh, they, they they fly into. Um, <laughs> And then... <laughs> yes. And then, uh, Chris Waddle. <laughs> Chris Waddle. And of course, yeah. you meet the president, Boutros Boutros Guy. <laughs> and uh, and it's the Bond's like, telling her, right, your job's finished. Like, you know, I don't need you. And she's like, she's like no, I'm staying. So um, they go to the bank. So he tells her to smarten herself up a yeah. bit. Uh, they they go to the bank and meets the smarmiest bank manager in the world ever. He's got the whitest teeth ever. It's like, oh, Mister Bond. He's like, he's like a game show host. You know, that, it... He is. Was it Mister Montalongo? Is his yeah. name? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Something like that. Yeah. Or, or no, yeah, he's, he's smarmy, isn't he? Oh no, his hair is as white as his teeth. You'll see who's got the highest hair out of him. Or or Tim, or Sanchez. <laughs> I tell you what, it doesn't actually look as ridiculous now. Years on, Tim's hair in that scene. It looks a bit like I, I don't know, like Dracula I don't, or something. I don't, I, just, I, don't like, oh. I don't actually don't think it's that bad at all. Bond. I think it's, yeah. I think it's only in one scene though, isn't it? That it's just like kind of gel back. It, it just it just that it shows that his hair's kind of receding. I think that's the worst thing. Yeah, yeah but it's not, not a very, lot. it's not styled, not very good. Yeah, in a really bad just way. Some, just something, nothing really. I just think there's an awful lot of fuss made out of something that looked a little bit different at the time. But years on, when you see it, it looks okay. Yeah, it's all I right. Mean, I mean, things though, it's it's meant to be like oh, it's a rougher, tougher kind of Bond film, really. You know, it's uh, it's it's supposed to like match like that kind of. And grit. nothing, and nothing says rougher and tougher like a bouffant haircut. <laughs> no, nothing. <laughs> nothing. He should have had a beehive. <laughs> Go the whole hog. Don't, don't have to be fun. I have a beehive. Beehive bond. Yeah, yeah. But but I I love how Dalton is. I love how no nonsense he is. Um, there's there's a deleted scene where he's watching um, Sanchez in, in um, on the TV and he's just like get this gun ready and I'm, I'm cocking it and he just looks badass. He, he just, looks badass, doesn't he? He just like it's it, it, I, I I almost wish it's in the film because it just looks a because it looks like really sort of. It, it's very eight, 1989 but it's it's just like he just cocks his gun and he's just like he just looks like yeah Bond is a badass Bond he means business it, it's like what um, Dave said last week you know it, it's Bond, this is a Bond that looks like he could actually kill you 
and, he's lethal. And without any sort of remorse or anything. Yeah. And by kill you, we mean like... With his dick. We mean halfway <laughs> hard people, because it was like me and Chris, like fucking Benny Hill could kill us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah... Where, I, where to you next? Where to you next? Well, where to next? So obviously she she's turned up. She's now playing his personal assistant. And they've got a sweet Q turns up. It, it, okay, this is one of the things that's kind of random about this film. If if you told me like the idea, it's it feels like right. We need to we need to add a bit of Roger Moore just to kind of like just for the people who kind of prefer Roger Moore. <laughs> it's it's like we're going to show you like a load of load of gadgets that aren't going to be used, like an explosive alarm, alarm clock. Yeah, the only, uh, yeah. The only one he uses is like the the dentonite toothpaste, the and, and, explosive. And, and, and even then, that's fluffed. You know, it's like yeah, the, even then, yeah, like, it didn't and, do that and, very well. And, and the sniper camera rifle thing. Oh, yeah, the palm imprint. Yeah. But to be fair, this you know, we could have just had a, a regular gun, really. Yeah. <laughs> so only someone he could just like sort of sneak under his under his jacket or something. But it... Q was only there to give Bond a choice. Yeah. Of bedroom at night. <laughs> we don't snore, Q. But... And he chose Q. <laughs> oh. He 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 does have. Uh, there's a moment in the film where he he gives one the. It he, he kind of does like an, like a eye roll, which is kind of like, oh, and it's just like, oh, for God's sake, he, he overdoes it so bad. It makes me chuckle every time I see it. But, um, yeah, it's just a bit of an odd scene. Like, Pam Bouvier suddenly becomes a bit more like a, the, the comic relief watch more, doesn't quite know what, what the fuck she's doing. Like, I was like, hey, cheese boy, and like, and fires like a laser. I, I don't know why, I don't know why which, it's which like looks a... looks really hand-drawn on her <laughs> in yeah, the final film. I, I, that is not an elegant effect. I, I don't. No, I don't know why. Badly. I don't know why they got like a, a laser uh, camera in this film. And not only is it is that laser camera, it takes like an like an X ray that looks nothing like anyone's skeleton. Yeah. So if the laser misses, <laughs> you can at least give them cancer <laughs> over, over time. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's just like, what the fuck is this doing in this film? But anyway, I don't mind. I don't mind it too much because it's just gonna, it. If anything, it's like a homage to what's been before, so... Yeah, I don't mind. Yeah. It's a bit, a bit of brevity at this point, yeah. I think. And to be fair, it does... It, it is, isn't it odd how, out of all the films, this is the one that gives Q a major role? Well, a Bond going rogue is the obvious place to do it, to be fair. Because <laughs> yeah. otherwise, it would be like... Q gives him his... Ga- M says, this is your mission. Go and get um, your stuff from Q. He goes and sees Q, and Q goes, "Can I come with you?" <laughs> be like, "Yeah, all right." It'd be a laugh, wouldn't it? Yeah, just be honest, I, 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 I can see that happening so, much more. <laughs> go on then, and then basically you get you get a, a, a dream team variant. Yes. Oh, can you imagine having an interview to a kill? Then it would have been a, the triple dream team. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of double teaming. <laughs> a dream trio. Yes. You know, the image in my head right now, no one should ever have to see. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I think I can imagine I mean, that there's, one there's well, fucking, they, Honestly, there's quote-unquote gadgets everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, I think you definitely just brought in for the comic relief here, I think, because it is... Apart from that, it's pretty much kind of like laugh... Well, not laugh-free, I, but... I, I suppose it's like a... As a, as a as a kind of a voice of kind of reason as well. 
even though it has yeah, no, it, no it, effect it's on what it does. But well, his voice of reason yeah. amounts in this film to don't judge him harshly for fucking everything <laughs> that moves. He's got to use every means as disposable as disposable to achieve his objectives. Yeah, including Minge. <laughs> Which is just, which is a really lame argument, and I don't know what Q's worried about. I guess he just didn't want to sleep with Bond again. Oh, what a shame! Like, no, please take him. He's all right. On the list. He's like somebody's got to look after him, you know. He made that comment about me snoring, but fucking hell, should hear him snore. Jeez. Yeah. I imagine the two. He probably snores most. Bond, Bond goes to the casino, doesn't he? Because he's established a line of credit there. Quite a classy casino. Not a, not a patch on what we're going to get next week. Gold nice casino's lovely. But it's really nice. Yeah. And um, basically, Pam decides to go up and make obscene gestures <laughs> to the barman. <gasps> he says, go and get me a drink. And she's so furious, she goes up and calls the barman a wanker or something. <laughs> You know, as if the barman didn't have to make... And then offers him the chance to finger her. Have I misread the scene somewhat? Talk about mixed messaging, yeah. Yeah, quite literally. He he asks for his martini, shaken, not stirred. And because they're in a place where English is not the first language, although that's not unusual in a Bond film, she feels the need to do the hand signals for shaken, not stirred. (laughs) Uh, Watch the film, you know what I'm about. Look like shaken not stirred it looks like wanked off not fingered as we've mentioned before as we've mentioned before and uh she ends up drinking it so on her own head be it so bond is winning and then lupe is put on his table yeah so basically this is the first time when they officially meet even though they they kind of semi meet in the in the uh in the pre-title sequence but um, Sanchez uh, didn't clock onto Bond's presence in there, so this is the first time that they have an actual one-on-one meet, and uh, he, he's trying to figure out who Bond is, essentially. Yes, and uh, I actually think this is, um, I think this is one of his best scenes in the film. I think for both of them, when he goes up to meet Sanchez. And he explains he's a problem eliminator. And it really, A, I really like the line, because he says, are you a a problem solver or something like that? And he says, more a problem eliminator. And he plays that really well, and it kind of reminds me of Lazenby with Draco, in that it's really underplayed. Mm. He really just kind of underplays it, just more a sort of problem eliminator. And at that point, I'm just thinking, there's not a Bond who could have done this film any better than Timothy Dalton. No. Maybe Craig, you think? Craig might have... Craig could do this film. I mean, they, they all probably... Well, I can't see Roger Moore, but I can't see Roger Moore in anything other than Roger Moore's films, really, for the most part. But I, I do... Yeah, I mean, Craig could have done this, Connery could have done this, but I just think Dalton is absolutely perfect for yeah. it. Plays this scene terrifically. He ingratiates himself. Because he's such an earnest actor, I believe him ingratiating himself with Sanchez. Yeah. You can kind really, of... Like- yeah, I think when you if you actually watch Dalton in this film, mm. um, oh, most of the time really, you can kind so of, present in every scene. He's not sleepwalking through anything. No, you, you can actually. I think you can actually think actually see what he's thinking when you kind of know the film. You can actually sort of actually observe like what he, you know Bond's probably thinking. You know, he shakes 
uh, Sanchez's hand at the end, you know, you, you can kind of tell, you can read it in in, in Tim's face that mm. that he must fucking hate that. He just shaked his hand, but he'd be shaking it knowing that I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> it's, it's that kind of... It, you just sense that sort of, his mentality, you know, it's not just like a passing sort of by the numbers thing. And it's... No, this isn't going, this isn't going to fade for him. Yeah. And it's just great. And he, he say he ingratiates himself and he ends up sort of staying with Sanchez and, and he does admit to Sanchez that he was a British agent. He actually tells him the absolute truth. He says, I'm a former British agent, which is technically true. Yeah, because he's got nothing to lie, really. He's like, well, you don't know me, so I'm just going to... Yeah, but he's not a British agent now. He's but he's had his licence to kill revoked, so it's actually true. Yeah, I'm actually, yeah, for hire. And, like, you know, can I work for you, please? It's, yeah, it, it works out kind of well. It's like it's one of the things, like, you know, the best lies of truth. <laughs> it's great. Um, and I... I he walks out there, almost kind of like seething, like really pissed off because it's like shit. He's he's like he's, his security is fucking top notch. How want I get to him? Mm. And that's when then that's when he meets Q with the plastique. We've kind of jumped all over the place here. <laughs> we have, but it yeah. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But, uh, but yeah. It's, yeah, it's quite a dense film that way. I mean, it's 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 just really great though, and and of course while he's sort of. Staying with Sanchez, he's kind of still trying to further his mission and hide what he's doing. And it's all really quality stuff. And Lupe knows what's going on. And for an inexperienced actress, I, I really do buy what she's doing in this film. Mm. She's scared. She is scared and she's aware she's at the center of a deception that if it's uncovered, she's going to be in some severe trouble. Um. So uh, all really, really good at this point. I, also, it's, it's from this point where the plot breaks away from your regular Bond film because it breaks away. It, it kind of breaks in more of like Bond is playing Sanchez. Um, he's getting involved. He's uh, it, it comes more about uh, the morality of of trust and loyalty and how Bond is basically abu- abu- basically abusing his the, it, it's his best weapon against him. Which is like the fact that he was loyalty, so he's kind of like gaining his trust only to betray him, and that is ultimately he's gonna he's gonna be his downfall, you mm. know. I'm, I'm playing of his his own men against it. But it's it's kind of like it's not your average Bond film where Bond just goes up and shoots you in the face. It is like Bond is playing it smart. He's but he's playing it deep. He is in it for the long run. He is. Just, yeah, and, just... and we don't get villains like this till Casino Royale. You, you know that if he, if he's uncovered, he's not going to be stuck in a slim, slow dipping mechanism. No, no. Uh, and we don't get that really again till Casino Royale, where they're on the staircase trying to decapitate him. You know, even the sort of you know the Elliot Carvers and all of that of this world that we're going to get in between these two films are all about silly games and doing different ways of doing everything and torture and. Here they are totally. This guy is menacing. He will reward you if you do the job for him, but if he catches you working against his interest, you will die quickly and painfully. The very first scene we see him in in this film, he cuts a man's heart out, or he has a man's heart cut yeah, out. That tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and feed someone to a shark in, on his wedding day. <laughs> It's, yeah, it's it, it is, and but but also we see it again where he frames um, 
Um, what? Uh, what's his face, dickhead? Um, <laughs> Milton. Is it Milton? Yeah, Crest? yeah, Milton Crest. Yeah. He was also he was also a character in a Bond for, in a in a Bond novel as well in the Bond short story. Milton Crest. Um, I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, he he frames him for the the stealing the money mm-hmm. uh, essentially. He will. We will be seeing this actor again when we get to very late in the Star Wars series, uh, Star Trek series. Sorry. Yeah, he will. Because he's the main vill- he's the main villain in Star Trek Inter- Insurrection. Yeah. Is he? He is the. Oh, I uh, know that. He is the Starfleet guy working with Rafa in in Star Trek Insurrection. I forget the character's name now off the top of my head, though it will come to me again. Admiral Dowerty, I think it is actually. Oh, I didn't know he was in that film. I know, he's yeah. in, I know he's in the Matrix sequels. Yeah, you'll see him when we get see, there. Didn't know that. Well, that's because the Matrix sequels, no one stays awake past the first no. couple. <laughs> <laughs> all all he's got to do is wait till scene three and everyone spark out. Yeah. But yeah, so he frames him and manages to get back to the mansion and be in bed by the time Sanchez gets to him. I mean, And he has a grisly done. death as well. He gets, like, it's quite a memorable, um, even though it looks a little bit um, dated now, the exploding head. Oh, that's I, I can't watch that. I just, every time... I just, it was always the bit that got cut on ITV. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It'll be on in a few weeks' time, and I'm, I guarantee you that'll be on at, like, 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock, or even, off, you know, after 9 o'clock. Watershed, you know, post watershed time, because that explained the head scene will just be like, right, that's it, cut it out completely. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, 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 I kind of like it. It shows like again how he 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 turns and he it just it's just another demonstration of like what he does when he gets betrayed. You're not given the opportunity to defend yourself either. No, you know he, he does go with sort of reason, but at the same time, as soon as you're caught, that's it. You're, you're yeah. dead within a minute or two. It, there's no, there's I'll no, have a think no about this. I'll get then. back to you. No, there's no way out. Very yeah. brutal. Really well done. Um, really great. Just it really. Leads, it leads great. up to like, well, for me, what is the film's best line? He's like, oh, oh what, what should we do with the money? And he just like turns around and goes, launder it. I think that's so clever. <laughs> I, I was gonna say is that I, reckon, I thought that was your favorite line. <laughs> that's my favorite line. It's yeah. very funny. I, 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 when it comes to comedy and humor, I got very simple pleasures, things like that. I find quite amusing. Oh, hello. No, no, but it's, it, it's a good line. It's 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 fun. You know, it's you know, it's one of them classic sort of payoff lines, isn't it? Um, yeah. The double meaning. Yeah, for, for me, it's like you know, an, uh, uh, like in, like something that Arnie would say, or like you know, sticks like yeah. sticks a knife through someone and goes stick around or something. It's it's that it's along those sort of lines. I, I I enjoy those things quite a bit. Well, yeah, and a few sort of quick, good quips in the movie, but obviously Sanchez gets them and. Mm. It's like when when Hella sort of dies. I mean, Bond gets you know, meet a dead end or something. It doesn't kind of relate to anything. Well, we'll, we'll get to that bit when we. Uh, we'll get there when we get very there. Very soon. Very there. soon. Yeah, I think we're I mean, coming towards the end. Yeah, because this this film does rattle on like a speed of knots. It does. It's, it's, and that's like the yeah. best twenty twenty five minutes. But you know, the best last twenty minutes in any of the Bond. Yeah. Cause, cause, <laughs> cause it's not. It's not far off. We get to the main uh, set piece of the film, is it? No, it's not. It's not far at all, um, because they're. It turns out they're. Is it cocaine or heroin? I forget which. I think it's but cocaine. Are, yeah, they are dissolving. Yeah. It should be cocaine if you think about where this film is and everything else. But I wasn't completely sure. But they. They basically. Did, this is a real world thing. Apparently, dissolve it in gasoline to smuggle it. Yeah. 
and then you can distill it sort of out afterwards. Mm. They, also uh, they also don't show you all of it so that people can't recreate it, but I mean, they do obviously, but they don't kind of give you the step-by-step process, do you? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they, they realised they weren't Blue Peter. No. <laughs> <laughs> they made Trace the and then showed you how to, like, dissolve... Next kids, we're going to show you how to smuggle heroin. Well, kids don't so, want to work these days, do they? <laughs> Speaking of Blue Peters, did anyone actually really, like, I reckon there was any kid who actually enjoyed getting, like, a, a, a homemade Tracy Island. It was like, I think they'd much rather have the real thing. I think I remember doing that. I seem to remember trying to make it, and it didn't come out very well, people. They didn't know. <laughs> didn't look as good as, as, as the one they made. I think, listeners, you've now had an answer to the one burning question you all had. <laughs> did Becca ever do Tracy Island? And if so, how did it turn out? <laughs> anyway, so. <laughs> we haven't spoken about Professor Joe. Who? Professor Wayne Joe Butcher. Character. Good. Wayne oh, Newton. Yes. Oh, yeah. Go it, to your phones. It's your random casting. In a, it, it is kind of like, what the fuck? Really? He's, he's in Bonville? Okay. Well, apparently, he always wanted to be in one and kind of like harassed. We didn't harass, but he's all got in touch with Cubby and said, look, I really want to do this. And lo and behold, here he is. Yeah, well, he, he, he works well for what he's given to do, like what the role is. He's perfect for it, really. He's very convincing, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, it's kind he's of like basically a, cover for like getting information. Like a televangelist. Out. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite well done. And, and yeah, I mean, the Bond is taken to where they do this, you know, dissolving and distilling and everything else. And he's spotted by Dario, uh, Benicio Del Toro's character, who saw him at the bar earlier. So effectively, Bond's cover's now blown. He's covered his face for as long as he can. But... Yeah. It's not enough to cover him for the whole time. And it's, no. kind of, it's kind of tense because they're in the middle of a meeting, so he's like, Dario's just like playing it cool. So it's he kind of got a tense, like, how long is this going to go on for now? Like, you know, what what can Bond do? You know, it's like, you can tell tension between both of them is, is really kind of, like, dangerous, you know. Cause... And it's properly tense because we've been sold this as a fucking scary villain. Yeah. Bond sort of starts a fire because it's like, shit goes down. And and then and like Sanchez is as soon as he finds out he's pissed and starts and tries to and throws him in a conveyor belt lean to a grinder gruesome <laughs> <laughs> literally so and, uh, and Bond's literally again um, hanging on like spitting out any information he has now if I had to say one thing that I think is kind of ill thought out is the Stinger plotline I think it's kind of a bit tacked on to kind of like make sense for something for something happen later on. I I kinda don't buy the fact that Sanchez will be interested in getting in doing like a, a deal to get uh, a bazooka missile to shoot down to shoot down. No, he'd, he'd want a Solex agitator. Yeah. <laughs> but the, but the golden gun. But, but what is actually special is just it's just basically bazooka or rocket launcher. Like I don't like surely he has no problem getting hold of them anyway. I would have thought. No. I would have thought. I would have thought you would do. Yeah. But it rattles on really, really nicely here, and of course, obviously, Benicio del Toro reaches a very, very grisly end, uh, as does a, one of his other henchmen, who's who's just basically impaled on a forklift truck. Mm. Uh, it's really quite brutal from now on, and and all the stunt work with the with the sort of lorries uh, you know, is really good, really, it's really the best good. Stunts in the whole really well scored as well. Yeah, I love the score. It's we, amazing. We haven't talked about Michael Kamen as well. I think he is. Yeah, the only bit of the score, the only bit of the score that for me that's a bit of a misstep, 
and I think it's pre-title, you get a mu- bit of music that sounds like an advert for the Christmas sales. Yeah, that is great. I think so. That has been used in other films he's done as well. So it's like a re- it's a it's a it's a re I don't want to say rehash, but it's like it's recycled from something else. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure I've heard it in like something like Die Hard or Leaf Weapon. Um, yeah, it's pretty similar to that sort of, isn't it? I think. Absolutely, yeah. things do get repurposed and stuff. Roger yeah. Moore did drop, didn't jump up in the credits though. So yeah, well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's something. <laughs> but it's a really great sequence, yeah. and I really like. Without belaboring all the beats of it, because we're going to go through it in a commentary. I really love the way he finishes Sanchez. Yeah, he really gets revenge, doesn't he? Yeah. Now at the wedding, Felix and Della give uh, Bond a gift. And it's a lighter. Felix lighter, get it? Uh, I, think that's that's probably, it. I think that's probably it. Though they don't overdo the pun on it because Tom Mankiewicz didn't write this. No, um, thankfully. And, and it says, it says something like to James, "With love always, Della and Felix, or Felix and Della, or whatever it is." And it's just a gift to an old friend. And of course, he's got that on him when they're. He's basically about to be chopped in half while he's quite badly beaten against a rock by um, Sanchez but Sanchez is covered in gasoline from the chase that's just happened and Bond says to him in a very broad Welsh accent, don't you want to know why and shows him the lighter and lights him immediately before Sanchez knows what's going on, so he's he's burnt alive I think it's probably a gruesome fitting death I think one of the biggest explosions ever committed to a cinema surely that tanker explosion is vast. I would have thought so. Before you got the one in Spectre where he accidentally pierced the, you know, pierced well, yeah, his massive, can and set yeah. off the biggest explosion in the world. Yeah, well, that, is, you know, that is the biggest one ever. Dr. Pepper or something. <laughs> so that's the biggest. This has to be one of the biggest. It, it, it's a good one. It's a, it's a good old explosion. I like it. Um, I get that. So one, one of the things that like, I do think Sanchez... Um, for someone who bangs on about loyalty, he, he does sort of give up on that quite quickly. Yeah, it kind of goes out the window pretty much, doesn't it, when that, yeah. when that kicks so, off. So, do, do you guys think it's a bit kind of like forced that, or do you think it happens too quickly, or do you think it's just part of his character that it, it's kind of Sanchez showed his no, true I, colours? I, I think so. I, I actually, I've always seen it as, rightly or wrongly, I've always seen it as kind of almost like a collective responsibility thing, that like he's been let down by his team full stop. So he's, so he's like, Fuck everything. Yeah, you're all a bunch of twats. Because look at look at what we've come to. Oh, fair enough. That's the way I've always seen. It. I might be wrong. It's only my spin on it, but yeah. I've never bizarrely and probably wrongly thinking about it. I've never seen it as out of character, even though now we've talked about it, it clearly is. Yeah, it's it's just yeah, that no, makes sense. It's just I, don't, I you know I I've always thought of it as the film was aiming to kind of like um, break down Sanchez. Uh, so with the whole playing the, the game of loyalty that he all of a sudden becomes unloyal himself or whether whether it just kind of like everything just goes to shit and all of a sudden Sanchez kind of like drops the one redeeming thing he actually had. And, and don't just... forget, he, he had a... Not, right, Bond was effectively working with him and ended up effectively a traitor. Uh, although slightly different circumstances. Then he gets the guy sort of trying to disappear with his stuff. The guy who he ends up putting on mm-hmm. the forklift truck. Yeah. And you think, well, 
So that's two out of not a massive crew that have let him down. Oh. Dario's just gone and got himself killed. And basically, most of his profits have just gone up in smoke. And I think he's just like... The, he's you're, actually eating Truman Lodge. It's almost like you guys are a shambles. Oh, yeah, and that, and that, and that Wall Street guy. Yeah. Yeah. I think that aspect of the plot is quite good, because obviously Bonnet kind of sows all those kind of seeds of doubt, and that just, he just turns it on everybody. Yeah. Like, oh, this, I don't trust any of you anymore. I do, I do like that line when he shoots him and he goes like, start, I think it's time, time to start taking turning overheads. It's kind of like... Sort of... Yeah, that's quite a clever <laughs> line as well, isn't it? Start reducing overheads, bang. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he's so annoying, he wasn't funny at all. I just thought, oh, he tit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I remember particularly on the first few, and I was like, I really hope he shoots him, I really hope he shoots him. The prayers were answered. Yeah, but yeah... Um, yeah, what Dave said, it's a really good Bond film. Uh, I, I, I really like... I think the the whole set piece is really, really strong. It's a nice way to end uh, a non-conventional Bond film as well, to not have the whole uh, base just exploding. You know, it, they kind of do their take on it here, but it ends in a, in a whole tanker chase, and it's really well done, really well set up. Um, you kind of get and, two endings, don't we? Because, like, obviously the... the um... The temple, I guess you would call it, the kind of the factory yeah. kind of explodes, tanker chase explodes, um, but then obviously we get the you know, Bond has to pick pick a girl, basically. Yeah, which is a bit, yeah. which is a bit, a bit cheesy, but it is. I mean, like we haven't really talked about it, so we basically does sleep with um, the two two yeah. ladies. Yeah. Also, um, the age questions the have died down time. a little bit, so no, not at the same time, no. He's a man no. of moral courage. Yeah, I mean, like. Really? <laughs> I mean, Pam Bouvier is basically resolved after one one night shark has become like this, like pining for Bond's affections all of a sudden after like not giving a shit before, and basically like, trying to be Bondy. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's kind of the the, the way it's the way these characters are set up, you would kind of like would buy that either one of these would be the lead Bond girl. Yeah, you could you could have bought Lupe almost as a redemption story. I think it would have worked okay. I think my tastes when I was a younger man or and a teenager was much more Lupe. As as I've got older, I think they they've done it the right way round. Yeah. But but it would have worked okay. It was it's possible. I think I think it works better. I mean, like tomorrow, I don't think Bond um, needs to sleep with Lupe. I don't think that that necessarily had to happen. I think I liked it more as a as someone who he was just. Saving rather than. But in his defence, fuck it, you're only young once. Well, yeah, and 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 and, <laughs> and, 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 and I will say, in his defence, it's not like he was actively trying to. She she did pretty much force his hand almost. It's like she did. Pretty it, much. It, she did come on to him literally. It's like, oh, yeah, damn you, women. We're all there <laughs> trying to say no, and you won't let us. <laughs> One has to fight them off with a stick. <laughs> well, you know. Wait a minute, that's not a stick. <laughs> the magical stick. He has to fight them off with his bouffant yeah. hairdo. Yeah. And then we get the thinking fish, which doesn't bother me because it's so throwaway just as the credits are starting. Yeah. It's no big deal. It, it is. It, it's just funny. It's just funny how, like, the hardest Edge Bomb film ends with uh, a fish winking. It's just, it just amuses me somewhat. We Four years later, in the film. it could have been tied in with that Mr. Blobby song. We could have finished with that. <laughs> God. I, I do, a blast from the past. I do like that Patty the Bell song as well. Yeah, I'm not so much a fan. Okay. Mm. 
I'm I'm not either. I, okay. I I'm not that, I'm not agree with it, but I'm I'm really happy with it. I'm really happy the way they've ended it. Yes, he does end up in a woman's arms, but it's not it's not done too cheesily. I really like. There's not much of this film I would change. Yeah, at least no, at least the, at least the things with the women, it's given some consideration. It's not like uh, Roger Moore where it's just literally shagging for no, no consequence of anything. It's almost in those films it comes across as filling the running time and hitting almost a quota. Yeah. Whereas here, you could have had this film without him sleeping with anyone, really. It would have been possible. I'm, I'm, yeah. I kind of think he needed sort of a companion for the story, and it may as well be a quote-unquote love interest, and yeah. it's okay. Um, I didn't find it overly forced, except no. that they had, to get, they had to get her interested ahead of the, going to Isthmus. Well, I will say yes. that you do buy that he does actually care for both of them. Yeah, you know you yeah. are you are he is you know he is actually he trying. doesn't want to hurt anyone he, he does have to get her on side for the whole Sanchez thing it's also yeah he wants to get Lupe out I'm I'm kind of all right with it I really am and Timothy Dalton gives one of the best performances in the entire series in this film um what what is it about Tim's performance that you think is makes it the the best, one of the best Bond performances it's it's, it's intense without sacrificing any humanity whatsoever. Because it, it's easy to do intense and just barrel your way through a film looking committed. But there's no loss of his humanity in it. And scenes where he could sit there very steely, like when he meets Sanchez for the first time, he really underplays in a good way. Mm. Um, you know, when he finds Della's body, he could look up to the Sky Wolverine style no! and how. No! No, he doesn't do any of that. I mean, obviously, some of that would be what's in the script, but. It's all done with a great humanity, and I've, I, I, this is why I struggle with this. He's the literary Bond. I do see what everybody means. I do, but no, far too nice, far too human a, a take on the role, and more of a real character than we ever got with Roger Moore or Pierce Brosnan, who followed him. This this is as close to a real character as we're going to get for a very long time afterwards, and um, this is a special performance in a special Bond film, divisive because. Timothy Dalton wasn't everyone's taste, and there are a lot of Bond tropes in this film played down somewhat. I, for me, I think I've said this at the beginning, but uh, Bond, uh, Timothy Dalton is my personal favourite Bond. Um, and I, I say personal because it's you know I don't I wouldn't if I was doing a real ranking I wouldn't put him top necessarily, but I he, for me he's the one who I kind of look at and think. Uh, who do I prefer to watch in a Bond film? I, I, I think it is is Timothy Dalton, and I, and I think for whatever reason, I think it's that kind of like humanity with Max with that um, physical aspect of the action as well. I yeah. think it just, I think it to me, it's those two elements that is crucial if you want yeah, a leading man in an action film. You kind of have to believe in him, believe in the stakes, and believe that it's, that is him actually doing it. Actually, getting it. I believe this, and, and although I've got some issues with the fact that he's he's so much older, you know, it's right that it's Felix. It's right that it's a Felix we've seen before. Um, Timothy Dalton seems to, uh, unlike a Brosnan, Timothy Dalton, for somebody who's not seen as particularly charismatic as a Bond, has good rapport with everybody. He plays really good scenes with them. 
all of his leading ladies have some chemistry with him, whereas virtually none of Brosnan's do. Um, and I, I buy in a couple of minutes that him and Felix are old friends. You know, and again, Roger Moore's not my bond, but I bought it with Tibbet and Roger Moore's bond, for example. I buy it here. I buy their friends. I buy their friendship. And I buy that he's a very, they are very, very good friends to each other. And you, you buy the fact that, you know, he's got chemistry with Sanchez as well. Albeit different chemistry, but there is chemistry there. I buy the infiltration. I buy the fact that, like, yeah. you know, that they, they, they trust each other. You know, trust each other. Sorry, well, not, Sanchez not trust, trust. trust. Suntrust trusts him. And it's all played so well. I think the set design in the film is very nice. I think the whole film looks very nice. Um, it's in. It does help by being in quite sun-kissed locations. It's been a very good era. Um, the, sorry, it's been. A, it's the apex of what's been a very good era, action-wise, the John Glenn era. It really has. It's um, right the way from when he took over. How much of it's him and how much of it's second unit? I don't know. But the action in all of the Bond films he's done have been really good. Right from all the sort of winter sports in From Your Eyes Only, it was like, yeah, this guy can do it. And he keeps it rattling along really nicely. And this film has probably the best set pieces of his of his, of his his run. I've always liked John Glenn as director uh, in a Bond film. I think one of the things I would say is he's very workmanlike, and that's both... That, that, that is a good thing in my eyes. I think he, you know, he knows how to just keep things going. I think he, he prefers... The um, I think he found his footing with the Dalton film films because that's more his tone, more his style. He came, mm. he first came, came on board with uh, Majesties, I think, I believe so. Was he second unit or editor? He was sec- he was editor yeah. and second unit director. Both. So um, again, he directed the bobsleigh run. Yeah, and so he just he just knows how to. I think the, the my favorite elements of the latter Roger Moore films, uh, including Octopussy, sorry, Dave. Uh, are down are down to him. I think I think where the the, the, the moment Octopussy, where... hang on a minute, just on Octopussy, I've got two things I want to say about it. Firstly, um if it had any strengths, it was his set pieces. Mm. And secondly, unlike Guy Hamilton, I don't think I, I might rank Octopussy way down the bottom. There's so much I don't like about it. But at the same time, I don't think it's worthless like a diamonds. Yeah. So it's really, really not my thing, and that is very, very clear. And it's also my least favourite of the five he did. I would be happy not to see that film again. <laughs> but I don't see it, I don't see it as a brick to beat John Glenn with. Yeah. I think it's actually quite a well-made film in a lot of ways. Whereas when we were going through all the Guy Hamilton stuff, bits of it were painfully sloppy. Mm. Like, yeah, maybe the same whole, like, oh, why don't you just do another take, you know? I said it quite a few times yeah. during the reviews, and yeah, you get mistakes in every film. And, and in fact, funnily enough, one of the worst things he ever did was overfuss to try to correct correct a mistake. The the car on two wheels mm. in the alley that would have that would have benefited from being a bit sloppier in some respects. Yeah. But most of the time, it was this is lazy. John Glenn's films are never lazy. I get the impression everyone works hard. Yeah, and of course, because it's a. Um... Uh, the broccoli production as well. It's very family esque, you know. Everyone's kind of like knows knows. It's a one big family, isn't same it? Same crew, so that kind of runs deep with the whole process. So, um, but but I I think John Glenn is like um, a stern captain to keep everything in check, and you know you, you know you know exactly where you are, and 
I don't think he adds anything spectacular, but I think but what he does, he does he does his job very well. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think it's because of the gap we're about to get, and I'm going to talk about that gap next week. I was I was really tempted to sit and talk about budgets and why this was the last Bond film for a while this week. I'm not going to. I've told you what this film made. It did 154 million worldwide, 30 of that in the United States. But it's more relevant yeah. next week to actually talk about why this series went away. And when it comes back, Chris in the intro episode said that it was effectively a reboot. And I genuinely, under my breath, thought, what on earth are you talking about? And actually, he's right. He is. It was a reboot, pretty much. It's a, it's a complete change of crew. And I think of the Bond era as pre and post-1989, not pre and post-2006. No. So he's absolutely right. And when it comes back, it's a very different beast. And it's very fitting it's not John Glenn but the 80s I think on balance are better than the 70s well yeah 70s were kind of yeah what did we have in the 70s sorry what what do we have in the 70s it was it was diamonds wasn't it we had diamonds we had diamonds which was awful we had live and let die which was good we had man with the golden gun which was poor we had the spy who loved me which I like some of and we had Moonraker, which isn't great, although it's enjoyable enough. But three of the five in the 80s I really like. And then the two after that, he's hamstrung with like a guy in his late 50s. Mm. But, but, but even then, like, the best parts of, that, of, the, of those films are the more yeah, John Glenn X, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I might find, and people might correct me, maybe John Glenn never did a frame of these action sequences. I don't know. But the fact is, he is the director. He's responsible for what goes out. He's responsible for the artistic vision of the film. And his films all go out with cracking action in them. With the possible exception of A View to a Kill. Yeah. I think it's fair to say, even though it didn't kind of set the box office alight, it's still kind of, he went out on a high in that respect. You know, he got one of the most... It's a film that's ageing very well. Yeah, that's it. it. It's being reappraised and thought well of. It's doing kind of it's doing the majesties in a way, isn't it? A lot of people kind of understated it and kind of inflated it and said, "Oh, it's the worst so. Bond ever." And Maybe now it's being reappraised. I, and... I think so. I know a fair few people who like License to Kill a lot. That oh, definitely. Wasn't really, the case when it was released, and it stands out more than The Living Daylights. I'm not saying definitively it's a better film, although I prefer it, but it stands out more. You know, I think this it's is very a different much, films. Yeah, very much more memorable film, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah, certainly. I think The Living Daylights was just very, very solid. Yeah, solid but, bond by numbers, but it still kind of makes it would you, you would know, you a like, good adrenaline series. Would you have liked to have seen like another couple more done in this tone? In the license to I think I said I think I said last week that oh yeah, I mean yeah, we know I would love and if you're talking quality, I mean if we've, we've talked about this on previous films, would you like another one like this? Yes, of course I would. Yes, but I do but I do think the Bond series belongs in the world of the Living Daylights more than it does the world of this. This is this is the exception, you know. Like or hate Quantum of Solace, not all Bond films are meant to look and feel like that. Same, same with Skyfall. It was it stands out because it's a little bit different. This stands out because it's very different. The Living Daylights is like a much more traditional Bond film, just done really, really, really well. Yeah, and that's the difference between the two of them. And I, I don't have, I have a favourite. It's a clear favourite. I would argue it quite strongly, but. Genuinely, Living Daylights fans. I don't think you're wrong. I think I think they're both perfectly valid as like the favoured of the two. So it's been a great it's been a great 
pair of films, and mm. I'm just sad it's over so quickly. I know, I know, I'm, I am too. Mm. Maybe, maybe too. Maybe, maybe just watch Living Daylights again next week and just <laughs> do double. <laughs> well, we move on to the the Brosnan era, which is you know yeah. promised an awful lot more than it delivered. And Goldeneye, I'll say now, I will be arguing is one of the most overrated films in the series, and that's not to say it's bad. I should defend I, it. I like it. I like it quite a bit, but it's a lot of it doesn't make sense. It was rather hastily edited, to say the least. It's got some very cheap, cheapo effects in it, which is not their fault. It's the 90s. Um, Brosnan is very stiff in it. He gives a much better perform. He gives better performances as he goes along. Goldeneye's not his best performance in the role. Cracking score, though. Cracking. God. <laughs> worst score in the official series by a distance. And it's all right. You know, there's a lot about it I like, but because of the six-year gap and, and Dalton being seen as relatively lacklustre at the time, it was seen as, like, this big saviour of the series, and it feels so great, and it feels like a classic Bond film. That all might be true. But frankly, the film that came before it, the one we're talking about tonight, is better. And I think The Living Daylights is better. So I think Brosnan's era follows two films that are superior to anything he did. I do genuinely believe that. Although I will, it, although I will at least accept an argument on Goldeneye. I think you can argue it as a very good film, but I genuinely think the, I two, Bros- the two Dalton films are better than it. They're not as stylish. They aren't as classic in feel in a lot of ways, but they're better films. We'll talk about it more next week. But better, I think Rick, better, dialogue, kind of better Bond. This is it. We'll, say, as we'll mention it. Well, I'll talk about it more next week. But I think with Brosnan, his performance gets stronger. But, um, the, his films kind of decline. There is a sliding scale, unfortunately. Because um, with the exception of one scene, maybe two. And we'll see how I feel when I get to them again. But The World Is Not Enough was probably his best performance in the role. There's two scenes in that film where I think he's a bit ropey, but there's several I think he's really good. Uh, Tomorrow Never Dies is too many cheesy lines. Die Another Day is both too too old and the script's terrible. Goldeneye, he's just trying not to fuck it up. It's just written all over him. Don't fuck this up, don't fuck this up, don't fuck this up. Mm. And he's he's just playing it very safe and very It's not, it's not all on him, though, is it? It's got to be a group effort, so... He's not bad in it. I don't have a, the problem with Brosnan people might think I have, but he's bookended by two better Bonds. And uh, the one film he's lauded for is good, but it's it's only good. It's overrated. And we'll talk well, I, about I, that. I disagree, but I shall argue next week. Yeah, but you'll, you'll be proved wrong with science. Yeah. I'm going to science you the can, shit out of it. You can be the um, the arbitrator in the middle. Yeah. To be honest, it's not it's not going to be a slating. You know, if you're a Goldeneye fan, you can tune in next week quite safely. I promise you, I'm going to be saying lots <laughs> of very nice things about it. The things that, you know, just as a preview, I have problems with the pre-title. I have problems with some of the editing, things getting introduced and dropped. Um, I'm going to argue against against popular opinion that Sean Bean's one of the worst villains in the series. But it's got a fantastic henchwoman. It's got a fantastic... Um, I think it's got a good leading lady. I think it's got the introduction of an excellent M. I think it's got some good locations, some decent action. There's a lot I like about Goldeneye, definitely. It's got one of the best casino scenes in the series as well. Because the casino looks lovely. 
in a central location as well, which is always better, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So lot, lot, there's going to be lots of positives next week. But those of you who put GoldenEye top, and I mean like, you know, top two or three in the series, yeah, you, you're going to have problems with some of the things I say next week because n- nowhere near. Top ten if it's lucky. I'm, I'm, I'm just amazed that... Um... That Becker's a Dalton fan, a, Don, a Dalton officiator like us. Yeah, so look forward to the end of the series when we do our Dalton film rankings episode. <laughs> it's going to be a 45-second episode. We're going to take 15 seconds each. We'll, we'll allow Becker three seconds to sign off, so 48 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you might get Robert Darby in at some point. You never know. Well, you, that's all in your hands now, Becca. I've done the flippant spade work. <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll get in touch with him and uh, yeah, see what he says. Has, has, he, fo- might... has he followed back, though? Well, she hasn't answered his answer, but he has answered us. Genuinely. I did. I, th- I think I said, he yeah, looking forward to it. He wrote back and saying, let's figure something out. Well, he just said, let's figure it out. And I was like, okay. And then I think I, I, think I tweeted him back to say, um, looking forward to it. So anyway, where can we find us on the social medias? Uh, well, I am I am on uh, at Cinematronics on Twitter, and you can find this website at cinematronicsco.uk, uh, where this podcast it lives essentially, uh, along with my other podcasts, which I don't really do at the moment, but they they will be they will be back when I have. Are you time. a fan of Dead Air? Check <laughs> out the Cinematronics podcast. <laughs> well, the, the, this is the only air that's going, so they do expect to still podcast currently. But yes, this there will be more. Anyway, yes, Dave. Uh, yeah, you can find me at Facebook uh, facebook.com forward slash Pasty Kid. I'm at the Pasty Kid 1976 on Twitter. Uh, just a point before Becca sort of tells you where you can find you know other things for this show. The latest show that went up, uh, The Living Daylights, as at the time of recording, isn't yet on YouTube. It will be. I'll put it up in the week. By the time you hear this, hopefully it will be there. But um, there is a possibility it won't be. But we try and keep everything released around the same time. Good, solid episode it is. That's really good. We're all in agreement. And there's a good one, folks. Hopefully you'll enjoy listening to it. Good, good. We all agree. Yes. <laughs> That's a rare thing. Don't we all agree. It's good. <laughs> yeah. So it must be good if we all agree. It's, it's the power of Dalton. It just makes us all agree on everything. That's what it is. The power of Dalton compels you. (laughs) Yeah, the power of Dalton compels you. So next week, join join us as we review a metrosexual model (laughs) having a crack at the role. It's, um, what's his name? What's his name? Pierce Boston. No, yeah, Pierce Boston. (laughs) Remington Steele, that was it. All right, yeah. (laughs) Taffin. Anyway, yes. (laughs) Well, maybe you shouldn't be living here! (laughs) for his version of what I've just done yeah literally google it baby you should be living here one of them strange I'll be honest I'll be honest Dave you did a better job you did well yes I'm I'm I'm, um, I've got more acting experience than Piers (laughs) Boston but do you sing as well as him though he just turns up in a suit his role, his run's not all bad. And I actually loved him as James Bond when he was James Bond, but the years haven't been kind to his films. And also, when you go back now and watch Brosnan, which wasn't, uh, sorry, Dalton, which wasn't in fashion when Dalton, when Brosnan was Bond, you go back and watch them now, and with the Craig era, you think, no, that's how you do it. Yeah. You, know, you don't need to just show off a tie and keep your hair, you know, all neat and stuff. There's a bit more to it than that. 
I've always said this about Brosnan though, but uh, you know the main. Yeah, it's problem, the court of Bros. The main the main problem with Brosnan is not necessarily him; it's the films around him. Really, that's that. Oh, the it's, it's, a, yeah, it's a dreadful script and some awful, awful stunt casting. And I thought about that earlier when Chris mentioned Cheryl Crow. Well, she's not casting per se because she's done the song, but it's the same sort of principle, you know. And we'll talk about it as we get to the films. Golden Knight is not particularly an offender. From his second film onwards, it's like putting things there that shouldn't be there. He was very hard done by. And if you go and watch Brosnan in The Tailor of Panama and other things, but that's the film that springs to mind, he's a man who can act. He really no, he can. Really can. He really this can. series just never drew it out of him. And he ended no. up looking like a bit of an over-tense male model in the role. But oh. Pierce Brosnan is a, is a very much better actor than this film, ev- this series ever shows. Especially really good films that cast him against titles are things like, I don't know, the number man, I guess, um, is it Butterfly on a Wheel? Um, where he's another villainous character. Um, and yeah, any sort of films where, where he's obviously cast against type as kind of like a suave hero, I guess. So, yeah. so, so yes, if you want to follow us on social media, you can come and see us on Twitter at expectustotalk, facebook.com slash expectustotalk. And send us an email, please. Expectustotalk at gmail.com. Maybe Robert Darby can send us an email. Maybe. Yes, that'd be like- lovely. Well, he gave you a bigger penis, briefly. (laughs) He's definitely not listening to us now. Sorry? (laughs) Yeah, it'll be like Mark O'Connell, won't it? He'll say yes and then ask to hear some of it. And then he'll regret it. And then it'll be yes, here's us talking about how you gave Chris a stiffy. Which (laughs) is. Sorry, I'm busy that evening. Sorry? And he'll be like, I'm busy that night, sorry. The thing is, the listeners will be thinking. What the fuck is there all this shit about Robert Dabby giving Chris a hard on? I don't understand what the... It's like... I don't understand Chris, the reference. Chris, did, Chris did, has, did we miss Chris, a joke? Chris has a man crush on him. He's admitted it in previous weeks. Uh, Chris is heterosexual, so I don't think he, he literally gets a stiffy, but we're willing to <laughs> we're willing to like imply that in the direction of the great man if it fans his ego and encourages him to come on. <laughs> Okay, so what's next week, Becca? <gasps> next week, it's your favourite film. We shall return with Goldeneye. Goldeneye. Oh, no. Found his weakness. So join us next week when we try to do our best Tina Turner impressions. Yeah, and I, you may find as well, this, I, I may be the only, this, the, the only time you'll ever hear these words after tonight on a podcast next week will be these words. They should have gone with the Ace of Base song. <laughs> that may never be said on a podcast or anywhere, anywhere, ever again. I don't think anyone's ever said that ever. About they, 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 no ever. they should, they should the have gone with song. Ace of Base. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't think actual fans of Ace of Base would actually ever say that. No, but Ace of Base's agent told them not to because, <laughs> like, Bond series is passe. <laughs> Okay. You did the right thing. <laughs> See you next week, folks. Bye. Bye.